everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 7, Issue 345. It's Ghouls and Ghosts. You can play along with what's left of this volume, Volume 7, our seventh year, that is, of course. You can join us in playing and completing and talking about games including Resident Evil 6, The Last Guardian, Zone of the Enders, the second runner, the second game, uh, Resident Evil 7, concluding that series of the mainline Resi games, and we'll be coming up to the, yeah, I guess sort kind of the halfway point of our Final Fantasy numbered series run as well as we finish the year with Final Fantasy 7, a much requested show. Canerince.com, as I always say, are the places to go for everything that we do, really. You can find it through there. It's a, a gateway and a portal to all sorts of stuff, including some articles and features and reviews and various bits and bobs as well. All of our social spaces and so on are linked there. You can also support us, get the show, every podcast that is, a week earlier than non-subscribers and often, most often, extended, sometimes up to sort of 25% longer, just by supporting us for a dollar a month, 77p, 88 euro cents. And it is incredibly gratefully received over at patreon.com slash canerince uh, we're currently at the time of recording heading up to a uh, thousand bucks which is not what we take home because there's various fees and stuff but as the headline figure that's where we're aiming right now so if you want to help us get there that would be awesome we also have a paypal button if you don't want to help us get there but want to chip in to our uh, busker's hat anyway uh, we also have a podcast on wednesdays called Sound of Play, which is uh, an excellent podcast, uh, if I do say so myself as well, where we play video games music. We have a podcast on Fridays now with Chris O'Regan interviewing developers called The Sausage Factory. And so, yeah, we do a lot of stuff. There's also an exclusive bonus monthly podcast for those of you who do subscribe to the Patreon. Subscribe, review and rate to the podcasts, if nothing else, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes or wherever else, uh, what other platforms you use. And follow us on social media, please, as well, if you wouldn't mind, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 335, are Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. Mikhail Croda. Stealing this one from Ben. Deep concentration can't fracture the meditation. <laughs> Is that a quote from the game? <laughs> no, it's from something else, <laughs> but it's very apt. <laughs> Just sure, a lifestyle sure. quote. Yeah. Uh, and yes, welcome back, Ben Cartledge. Let's do this, shall we? One credit classics, Ben. Uh, yeah, he is the one who's here to basically school us in the ways of ghouls and ghosts because, uh, you know, we've all, like most normal human beings, we've struggled. Uh, one thing I want to say is that uh, I would definitely recommend if you didn't hear our Ghosts and Goblins podcast, listen to that one first. Not because of plot spoilers or anything like that, but because uh, actually I found there was way more stuff written about the original Ghosts and Goblins out there on the internet in terms of uh, sort of detailed research materials yep. and resources. And also we got into the whole developer philosophy behind the nature of Ghosts and Goblins and how it's basically a kind of a cruel trolling comedy of a game uh that's the that's the concept anyway obviously we will talk about how this manifests but the actual philosophy behind the game i think we were able to get into in that first that first podcast yeah wasn't it uh, fujiwara who said uh that whenever testers would uh, get through parts too easily he went back and uh, made it extra impossible yeah absolutely and i think uh we'll talk about the design of this game of course but i think in this game it's even more apparent that the trolling is very 
meticulously designed rather than as happenstance of enemy behavior it's like yeah anyway uh daimakaimura is the original name of the game which translates directly as great demon world village uh, we got the yeah the quite fun and alliterative ghouls and ghosts uh, which obviously followed up from ghosts and goblins uh, and the game came out this capcom game in december 1988 in arcades at least initially uh, Takoru Fujiwara returned as a designer along with Shinichi Yoshimoto and Hisashi Yamamoto. Uh, the composer changed um, from uh, Ayako Mori to Tamayo Kawamoto. Um, Ayako Mori's original level one theme is reprised though, uh, naturally. It wouldn't be the same without it, but I think uh, we'll talk about the music, of course. Uh, and I think uh, Tayamo, Tamayo sorry, Kawamoto came on and, and did a sterling job of continuing the work. Uh, this was the first Capcom CPS-1 game, I believe. Uh, it was a, an upright cabinet, amplified mono sound, raster display, standard resolution, horizontal orientation. Oh. Uh, so, quote from Fujiwara himself, Fujiwara-san says, Daimakamura was conceived of as a pure sequel to the first game. It was also the second cps1 game sorry my mistake the second so naturally the pressure and the expectations were both riding high in the early planning stages we talked about taking the art direction in a darker more splatter horror direction but in the end the game turned out as you see it today also we originally had a far grander design in mind for daimakamura after the second stage each stage would have branching a and b routes you'd get to choose your path after every stage then, on the second loop, you'd be forced to play the stages you didn't choose the first time around. Unfortunately, we ran out of memory and time, so those extra stages had to be cut. However, even though we shelved those stages, the alternate stage 2, the water stage, was secretly resurrected and used in the Super Famicom Chumakamura as the second half of stage 2. That's pretty cool. What a that sadist. <laughs> absolute yeah. sadist I, I wonder what the first CPS1 game was was that Forgotten Worlds possibly it's the same year isn't it yeah, yeah maybe so yeah. good question uh, I'm sure the information is out there uh, yeah according to the cuttingroomfloor.net uh, there are remnants uh, in the code of alternate stages 2 and 4 you can see cer uh, certain clues as to layouts and colour palettes uh, but yes, yeah, sadly, they didn't happen. Uh, I'm not sure whether branching paths would have been something that Ben would have uh, would have welcomed and embraced, or would that have just been? Even I would have more. had to. <laughs> well, that's true. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So um, our histories with this game. Now, I don't know, Ben. Did you play this back in the at the time in the in the late '80s, or did you come to it? as part of one credit classics yeah this is a strange one in terms of when i came to it because uh, the uh, the first game obviously i played a little later but around about the time it's arcade release and uh super ghouls and ghosts i played very close to its release whereas mm. with this not having a mega drive and there wasn't any arcade near me that, that just had cabinets in i really never played it until mm. the uh the, the late 90s really until um the capcom classics collection that i talk about a bit came out yeah um mm -hmm. And obviously my kind of big obsession then was to try and beat uh, Ghosts and Goblins, which I did after a period of about three months. And I just thought to myself, well, now what? And I'd already beaten, I'd already played and beaten uh, Super Ghosts and Ghosts. So I was like, oh, I wonder what their sequel's like. <laughs> and I remember 
putting a bit of time into it and like when i came back to have a look at it later on um especially the stuff with one credit classics i remembered bits of playthroughs that i'd done and i, I did beat it on the uh and certainly not one credit nothing like it. it took me months um but i did beat it i remember on that capcom uh, classics collection i remember really enjoying it uh, but it wasn't till yeah until much later really uh, that I started I started kind of playing it seriously. Um, I had a look at some of the uh, probably talk about later. There's quite a lot of other versions. I've had a look at some of the other versions. Um, yeah. I think oh yeah I was watching some guys uh, Castlevania speedruns and less guy got the world record. He got it down to, on the NES. He got it down to about eleven and a half minutes. And I was like that's just unreal. I must have watched that video about twenty times. And then I went to get a cup of tea, came back and it there uh, auto queued into another video and it was a different guy speedrunning a uh, uh, Ghouls and Ghosts. Oh, um, right. And I was just like, no way, this looks really good. And I watched like the way he played through it. And I could just, I don't know, as it was playing, I could feel stuff clicking in my head. And I just thought to myself, I just, I got to, I watched the whole video and I got right to the end. And I just said those immortal stupid words. It doesn't seem that hard. And then uh, <laughs> I, could pr I could probably do this. And then, uh, and then it just began. I don't know, the, the, the confidence I had from beating R-Type. I, I was still on that kind of, I can beat anything kind of high, really. So I kind yeah. of started there. Uh, I kind of started playing this, um, trying to get a uh, trying to get a one-credit run. Got one, and I don't know. It didn't feel as good as beating R-Type. So I thought, I need to put some more time into this. And then, <laughs> yeah, 412 takes later, the rest was history. <laughs> You've gone back over where people complete Dark Souls and they think they can beat anything except you've actually gone and beaten a hard game in our type and then realized that they are considerably much harder than that if you keep going back in time. That's the thing. It's just, there's a, I don't know, there's a fine line between kind of brave and stupid, and I think I had one foot on either side of the line, to be honest with you. And this is the treacherous thing as well. Any, you know, mo most incredibly difficult games are made to look easy when you see us look at a super play of them. Exactly. Yeah. The first of many plugs, but uh, listener, you should check out some of Ben's One Credit Classics videos on YouTube. And yeah, it's often the the payoff is is magnificent as well as the uh, the watching, you know, the, the the playthrough in itself. But yeah, it is all those uh, deleted takes that uh, the 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 thing that yeah we don't really get to see. I get a little insight. Uh, you sent me a clip the other day of a of a great bit of play from Ghosts and Goblins that you ultimately couldn't use because something else went wrong later on. Yeah, I died, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you died, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So how many... So 412 takes, but how many credits and lives and hours do you think you've put into this game that we're talking about on this particular uh, podcast? Um, from starting to properly record it, I started to properly record it the start of November and I got the take in the middle of January. Um, like I had... December's like usually quite busy in the crazy world of organized violence so i was away mm. a bit um but um i had a bit of time over christmas as well but i got i got the i got the one credit within about five weeks maybe four or five weeks um but it just kind of and how, how many just just as an insight how many like you're saying four or five weeks how many nights of play how many hours of play per night and, uh, in that in that, that, that time maybe i don't know four or five hours a night three nights a week maybe there um, we go. in that kind of neighborhood a few saturday yeah. mornings maybe yeah, on sunday quite a lot actually no idea <laughs> that is quite a lot and um yeah and i think it's it's important to to stress that because i think you know we, we we've got a, a couple of bits of listener correspondence for this show from people who have uh, you know dipped their toe in and um and I, I would still even though i've played this game on and off for decades i would still say relatively i've dipped my toe in and i think that the idea of just repeatedly banging your head against a game that's this hard and trollish and mean um, 
would be anathema to gaming for a lot of for a lot of people. So, um, but it's as part of the reason I wanted to cover these is because um, they're fun games to talk about as well as sig- significantly, you know, interesting in in historical terms. But also, I think yeah, it's a it's a tough ask for a lot of, of a lot of modern folks. Um, despite you know what they, as Carl's already alluded to, they may think they're playing hard games. Even some of the sort of current breed of 2d roguelikes and metroidvanias and things that have you know notoriously challenging elements uh it's always comes back to that thing of of the mitigation that the games put in and i'm not saying they don't you know there's probably bosses in hollow knight that i'm gonna really struggle with for example but ultimately people get through them they're designed to be beaten um in a way that uh, this game is kind of designed not to be beaten um and not only have you beaten it you've you've sent it packing you know um. <laughs> yeah i did i funnily enough as well i did a bit of i did a bit of it at, uh, at work as well because uh, i had a new pc at like my old job and uh it was from a, another center where they hadn't properly put all the software on so i could download stuff so uh, i downloaded a, a a mame emulator and a load of roms and uh my boss was off sick for like six weeks from about november to the run to christmas and like uh it was pretty quiet in the center quite a lot and like i only generally had kind of like because i teach i only generally had learners in like 10 till 2 but i had to stay in the center till like 5 so yeah. quite a lot of time i'd like shift them all out there at dinner time and then just sit in my office like i had it got to the point where i remember uh, when they came to take my when they came to take my pc away because like obviously like we did when the center closed this summer i just remember thinking i had like save states for every boss on that like, and I, had, like <laughs> I had so many i had like i was running out of keys i had that many save states so i could practice like <laughs> various yeah. bits of it yeah. various bits of stuff Oh yeah, save states are absolutely your friend in terms of learning this game. But obviously, that was not a luxury that was afforded to um, arcade gamers back in the day, or indeed no. people playing it on compilations now. Uh, which brings us to Mikiel. So I know that you've been playing this on a a, a couple of gens ago console. Somewhere. Yeah, Capcom Classics Volume One on the PS2. Yeah. So yeah, no save states for me. Just uh, good old fashioned bang your head against uh, the wall until Virtual you, free until coins, you break though. it. Virtual yeah. free coins, yeah. Which uh, which is where the banging comes in, yes. and I used to be a bit disdainful of credit feeding altogether. Actually, yeah, uh, me too. Because it's a thing where if you if you credit feed like in a game where you respawn on the spot and you just keep going, and yeah. uh, you just notice that you're gonna die much more often the further you yes. get, and it's yep. it's doesn't make any sense it's better to practice the early part of the game that you don't have pat, uh, quite pat down so you know run that continue counter down and start from the beginning again until yeah. you get further each bit and really start mastering those earlier bits of the game in the case of ghouls and ghosts it's not such a bad thing because you still have to restart from checkpoints for for starters and it allowed me to make progress much faster than if i would have had to use real money and go into an arcade every now and then and uh you know get get a little bit further with each uh, each try so yeah i could make fast progress but originally i started playing this game on the mega drive the mega drive yes. port uh not that long ago actually that it must have been 2007 mm-hmm. when i was working at commodore and our marketing guy brought in his mega drive with wartner nomori and ghouls and ghosts so we played uh, both those games quite That was also uh, the year that the Mega Drive version hit the Wii Virtual Console, 2007. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was always on the lookout for the arcade version. So when I found out that it was on Capcom, Capcom Classics versus, uh, Volume 1, I saw yep. that one out. Um, yeah, and originally 
like Ben, I was uh, <laughs> all over the place with the chronology of my history with this game. But originally, I was like Ben, uh, a Super Nintendo kid. I didn't have a Mega Drive. None of my Mega Drive only, fri only friends had Ghouls and Ghosts. And I also never saw it in the wild on uh, an arcade cabinet. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm really quite smitten with this game in many ways, actually. But mm. we'll, we'll get on to that. Carl, same old boring introduction, but you'd have been pretty young when this game first came out in 1988. Yes, I'd have been four years old. Probably um, a bit young for the horror that is Golden Ghost. <laughs> too young and naive to know what was brutally difficult uh, and yeah, frustrating. It just looked fun, yeah. Uh, yeah, so 88, 89 was roughly when I started visiting the arcades. Um, I've mentioned before, I, I did visit the arcades when I was young quite often. And it's somewhere I always found quite relaxing. And thankfully, there was always a ghouls machine just they're waiting one of the standard red and black cabinets 10 pence ago um and from about 1989-1990 it was always in the same section with um uh world cup 90 so they were like my two warm-up arcade games take my world uh, cup 90 a little easier than uh than Ghosts and Ghosts. <laughs> just just as, until you until yeah. you played germany uh yeah in the all black yeah mm. um and they were sort of the two games that were always there. They were both 10 pence ago. I'd go into the arcade. I'd play those for a bit. I was always fortunate enough when I was on the uh, sort of southeast coast down in Margate that I would get my arcade games paid for because uh, my granddad knew the owner of the arcade. So he'd just come out with bags of 10 pences. Um, so I could technically coin feed <laughs> without... Mm. Without That's quite losing, some advantage. Yeah. Yes, yeah. without losing my own money, which would have been brutal as a four or five year old. I mean, that would have been a well, life lesson on Google. Would have been your <laughs> dad's money. Uh, <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't working, presumably. But, even even in the northeast of England in the eighties, they weren't quite that bad. Yeah, you'd never get him up a chimney. No, I was going to no, say. Yeah, that was it. I never had to work more than four hours a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or using my granddad's money, so it, it was quite advantageous, really. So yeah, I did actually used to hammer. This uh, this game in the arcade, probably the early nineties. I always remember being amazed. I, I I remember getting to World Three. I don't remember how many coins went in. Yeah, and I it's the strangest thing because um, I revisited this about four or five years ago. I downloaded an emulator and played through, and uh, I did that usual thing of finishing it without realising that I'd finished it kind of thing because you got to do it a second time. And I remember being amazed that I got to World 3 as a kid because it's brutal. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I somehow, I don't know if I was more nimble or got less frustrated um, or I was able to put more time into stuff. I, I, I don't know. But I was clearly a talented kid in the mm. arcades. Um, probably more talented than I am now. But yeah, it was it was always the kind of game that I used to play. I used to blitz World 1. And yeah, it just always used to draw me in with its kind of art style and the sort of comedy value to a, four, uh, to a five and a six-year-old of seeing someone in the boxes was just too much, I guess. So I, I, I fell in love with this game as a young kid. I don't remember seeing this in the arcades. I may have done, as I've said many times before, most of the games, certainly most of the popular games came to Brighton. We had a huge amount of arcades. Very lucky in that respect. But I don't honestly remember seeing too many ghouls machines, um, if any. 
Uh, it may have been that it didn't go down very well. Maybe maybe Brighton had overall had a slightly more casual uh, crowd. But that said, later on we we did have all the uh, all the kind of hardcore stuff. So I'm not really sure. Um, I'm, my early familiarity with it was the actually seeing it in the back of magazines like uh, the Me Machine section in uh, CMVG before it became its own magazine, um, talking about Good the memories. Mega Drive. Talking about the yeah, talking about the Mega Drive port and how it was uh, arcade perfect. Of course, it isn't. It's not bad. It's a, it's a very nice port, and we'll talk ports later. But it's not. Uh, it's not identical. It's not one to one. But it is. Uh, is a lovely version. Anyway, I didn't have a Mega Drive at this point, so my first version was actually the Amiga conversion, which is not so good. We'll talk about that later. Um, but I did actually finish that one, and I think I was driven on by the uh, the incredible uh, bespoke soundtrack created by uh, Tim Follin for that game, um, and the fact that it was possibly a bit easier a bit slower as well so uh they hadn't completely one-to-one coded all the enemy patterns and things so i think it was just yeah it was it was certainly not an easy game but uh but it felt doable um then uh i picked up the mega drive version at some point when i did get a mega drive and uh yeah i don't think i ever got past the uh the tongues section on that version of the game <laughs> um as i recall that's that's where it really starts to go pear-shaped for me uh, then there was a gap of a few years before the Capcom Generations discs started to come out in Japan and I got the Saturn collection with uh, Ghost Schools and Super on it. Um, again, played all of those quite a bit and was still completely hopeless at them. Uh, again, you could credit feed, but but that was kind of all you could do. And yeah, I think I probably had it on one of those. I think, yeah, it was on the PSP as well. So I had that version at some point as well, but, but again, only dabbled. Um, so yeah, I've been back to it. Sadly, it's not had a, an official release for quite some time. Uh, in any capacity, uh, the Capcom arcade cabinet collection that I mentioned on the Ghost Show—they never got as far as the CPS One games, so it's all pre- it's all pre-CPS stuff. So uh, so it's not on there. So uh, yeah, I've been playing it by uh, the old school method of MAME uh, with an Xbox controller, which is bad for this kind of game. I should have actually hooked up my old arcade stick, but. Uh, yeah, I was too busy playing. Anyway, I've brutally brute forced and scummed and God knows what else uh, to complete it multiple <laughs> times in the last uh, few days. But Good man. Yeah, I, yeah, but I can't. I mean, I've learned a lot, but I can't claim to actually be like a proper, you know, somebody who's actually good at this game. Um, I can't. It's partly my age. I'm, you know, I'm the oldest one here. I think it's it's harder to remember as well as execute everything over and over again over the period of half an hour when it's that intense. I don't think my, I don't know, maybe my gaming skills haven't got that much worse. I've never been amazing, but um, it still it still just schools me um, for for various reasons. Um, but I've still, yeah, I've still had a good time going back to it overall. And it's yeah, it's fine when you're feeding in virtual non-existent credits. You can chuckle whenever you die and Having read all that stuff with Fujiwara after after Ghosts, I've actually I've learned to enjoy dying in this game more now and actually <laughs> chuckling at his his devious ways. Uh, the way that a certain enemy will you you're predicting its path and then it will stop in in it, it, you know the trajectory everything's correct and then it will you'll you'll arc your jump over something and then it will just stop and you'll jump on it and all that kind of thing the way that certain little obstacles are very deliberately positioned in such a place as to make your jump to the next section uh much more dangerous than it would be just like 
yeah it's just the whole thing is just a complete <laughs> evil laugh yeah you know you're you know you're he's he's uh he's got you when you start panic jumping all over the place oh, yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. that that is that is probably the key thing yeah that then you, you completely lost it when you start panic jumping yeah yeah and that is when when i watch ben's playthroughs and again obviously we only see the best takes but the lack of panicking is is truly inspirational because yeah that's where it always goes wrong yeah. in, in a in a game where you have no control over your jump once you've left the ground panic jumping is yeah pretty much certain death uh, unless yeah. you get very 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 lucky <laughs> what you uh, what you just said about the the tongue section in the Mega Drive version brought back a good memory uh because I was playing uh back then at the Commodore offices with my friend who's on on his Mega Drive and he never got past that section. No. And I kept on going at it and I did it all of a sudden like uh with <gasps> pitch perfect jumping and he was just looking at me like because he never got past it in all the years that he owned that game and he was just looking at me like i was some sort of god then i got to the Oma, the but i could never beat uh, beat, beat that one uh in the time that we had then yeah i remember the some of the reviews of the mega drive version although they were very complimentary about the quality of the conversion because it was up to that point we'd only had the 8 and 16-bit computer versions at home and so this was like totally other you know another level it was it was approaching the arcade machine and in some ways i think the sound is perhaps even an improvement on the arcade machine but people were saying this is a 45 pound cartridge and again bear in mind this is 1989 1990 where 45 pounds is probably equivalent to about 100 quid now um and a lot of people were just never going to get past level two yeah so it it was an expensive proposition (laughs) Um, even to even if you get to the tongue section, that's still not a lot of not a, not a very lengthy it's part about of game. It's a game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's level three and a half. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, set three years after Ghosts and Goblins, Lucifer, the ruler of the demon realm, takes away the souls of everyone in the kingdom, including Princess Prinprin. It's up to Arthur to save his beloved princess again and return the souls back to the people of the kingdom. You must have quite a quite a full on relationship with Princess Prinprin by now, Ben. Yeah, it's getting difficult to be honest. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's tough. That I've skipped that intro more times than I care to watch it. It don't make any sense to me though, because like like uh, he's on his horse, right? So his horse gets hit by a laser, vaporized into mm-hmm. just nothing. She gets hit by a laser. I, admittedly, she's dead, but that she just goes down like you've just chinned her. Do you know what I mean? It makes mm. <laughs> it makes no sense to me whatsoever. But yeah, yeah. like I do him, um, I do kind of yeah. I nearly always skip that, but then I hear that kind of music and I just. I don't know. I automatically sit up straight when that music comes on for some reason. It kind of still, it's like Pavlovian. I'm just like, totally, yeah. I'm just ready to like uh, start playing again whenever it happens. <laughs> yeah. So we talked a little bit about the sort of the appeal of the the setup, the scenario, the fact that it's this uh, slightly odd juxtaposition of horror and comedy and medieval fantasy. Um, and and this, this is almost a totally boring conversation to have, but I don't care. Uh the editor, Jay, can take it out if it is. Carl's already mentioned it. We make a joke about it because it gets mentioned a lot. It's a modern classic, uh, often now regarded as one of the greatest games ever made, Dark Souls. I genuinely think that this game is a direct antecedent of Dark Souls. Like the way, not not the comedy part so much, but the actual, the overall 
the vibe, the setting, the sort of brutality of it, the the fact that there's all these different tricks and traps, these unique bosses. It feels very much like yeah. I'm sure that the people at From Software, I know you can trace Dark Souls back to Kingsfield, but I'm sure that some of the people who worked on those games would have been fans of, of Ghouls. Is anybody with oh. me or am I just doing oh, them? Definitely, it yeah. follow, definitely follows the same ethos of yeah. giving you the tools are just capable enough of beating the certain scenarios. So giving you all the ability to do stuff and then ha- involving limitations yeah. that kind of pull back with the brutal difficulty. So, well, not necessarily brutal difficulty, but sort of um, a high level of unforgiving. Yeah, and yeah. the challenge and, and the, the, the requirement of learning and precision and execution. Yeah. yeah. I guess also in the sense that you're walking through these decaying dead lands, basically. Yes. Yeah. 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 Skeletal enemies, sort of death like figures, hooded zombies, lots of. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could make this connection with a lot of games. There's a lot of games that have used bats and rats and zombies and, you know, yeah. nasty but there's, birds. There's, and... there's, there's just something very striking about the design of its uh, of its worlds and, uh, yeah. and the looks. The one thing for me that you need to beat in both is patience, realistically. And I think yeah. that's something that, you in, in kind of different ways, really, like in, yeah. in Ghouls and Ghosts, um, you, need the, you need the patience to be able to kind of learn, really, um, and, and to not try and throw, like, uh, any mitigation towards it because there isn't any, or no. you can't. Like, you have to be prepared to kind of study kind of enemy patterns and a few other bits and pieces. And the patience yeah. that you need in the Souls games of the ones that I've... Because I've, I've played, like, uh, Demon Souls and then Dark Souls 2 and 3. Um, <laughs> the, the big patience thing there is uh, on boss routines is not mm-hmm. trying to get greedy. And, yeah. that, that, like with, uh, and that's something that you find with... Uh, with the girls games as well to be honest with you is the fact that like yeah. you you have to yeah. you have to kind of sit back yeah. at times because that's the and problem also, the bosses in both games don't always operate in exactly the same pattern it's not the yeah. same kind of video yeah. game where the boss always behaves in exactly the same so it's the execution isn't identical every time you also have to react and observe as well as knowing yeah yeah, yeah. the yeah. uh the the i boss is a, a perfect example Gasuto. of that Gasuto. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely where I think the strongest of the similarities are between the the modern day Souls games, which is a great reference for anyone who's perhaps not au fait with sort of uh, ghouls uh, and before that ghosts. Um, that the kind of the repetitive death nature of learning uh, just a little bit more each time you play in, and like you say, the they may not react the same way, but the placement is roughly the same. So in the same way that in Dark Souls, you might get a, a series of enemies that maybe take a swipe, but the next time you get there, they may lunge. Yeah, You kind of learn the little scenarios that play out, but you know when those enemies are coming. In effect, yeah. and, and what, it, what that does is that it teaches you to be more apprehensive and don't go yes. rushing into a situation. Yeah. Yeah, so, defense first, almost. Exactly, mm. and it's completely antithetical to a game like, let's say, Devil May Cry Three, which is all about aggression and yes. uh, styling on your enemies. Mm. This, yeah. this, and yeah, Dark Souls. If we want to keep making that comparison, certainly aren't. Yeah, it's really interesting. I suppose one the one key fundamental difference that springs to mind is that in a Souls game, in a From Software game, if you pick up a weapon, it's either good. Or it's it's nothing because you can just not equip it in Ghouls and Ghosts. Sometimes picking up a weapon is a disaster. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Because not yeah. only are you stuck with it, you're stuck with it through lives and even continues. So if you pick up the the short range uh, swipey sword, which which may have its uses, we'll get into that. But the way another way in which the game kind of almost trolls you is that it makes some of the weapons far less useful than others. But you can't just switch them out if you don't like them. You're stuck. Yeah. Exactly. I wanted to say, I mean, the we talked about the the visuals of the the original game, which was more of a you know it's a, a early mid eighties affair, whereas this is a, a late eighties affair. Um, obviously, it required uh, more powerful hardware to get it running accurately on on home systems, sixteen bit uh, machines. There are eight bit ports, but they are almost unrecognizable. Um, the the graphics here to me feel like this kind of the yeah like the, what you would want from a sequel to a to the original game like it just feels everything's got a bit more detail there's some really uh, some more um sort of depth to the backgrounds there's some absolutely i I still think the wind and rain effect on the opening level is just gorgeous like it's so simple it's um, and once you when when you uh get back set set back to that checkpoint just the way the music starts off very quiet and eerie before the full theme kicks in is so perfect with uh those the sweeping uh trees and uh and the storm yeah i remember cmbg did a, a funny little uh, those yellow pages in in the uh, in the middle back in the uh back in the, the mid 90s pages. yeah um and they did one of the, i think it was the first issue they did that they had a uh, just like a, a little box out comedy section of the best trees in video games and i and i remember that the ghouls and ghost trees uh, were were uh, in the top 2 i certainly remember yeah. um for the way that they you know sway about in the wind and and actually that section uh, as well as i think still looking really uh, spectacular and uh, effective and evocative the fact that right from the second half of the first level the game is saying yeah this isn't going to pan out exactly how you expect you've been running perfectly normally from left to right as the screen scrolls from right to left for the first half of this level there's some gravestones there's some ladders ladders and platforms there's some enemies will swoop at you and jump on you but it's not going to be that straightforward because now you're not going to be able to run as fast because the wind is going to blow you backwards Uh, and it's kind of a statement i think it's a statement of intent as well just sort of yeah, casting doubt in the player's mind and evoking some anticipation and uh, yeah, some yeah, some concern and fear. What's it going to do? And of course, what it does do later on are things like forced scrolling sections, which you absolutely can't be late to any of the <laughs> sections for. Uh, otherwise, you're in trouble. Every level section in this game is some sort of set piece. There's no past the first section. There aren't aren't really. There's not really much in the way of just straightforward platforming and uh and and uh let's say running and gunning there's no maybe maybe the crystal the the crystal caves is a little bit of a retake but uh Mm. then afterwards you got this slippery descent which is well too different from what you've been doing before as well yeah every every section feels distinctly different in this game both in look and feel yeah the crystal forest section for me which is level four feels like Mm. i haven't played a lot of uh ghosts recently feels like a bit of a uh cps1 update remake version of stage three uh, the, yes. the cave stage in in uh, yeah even, even has those sort of rock face things yeah exactly uh, yeah you've still got yeah. a, a similar kind of uh, you've still got a similar kind of thing there the extra power of the hardware gives you the ability to have slopes you know you remember when yeah um yeah when uh, when mario got slopes in super mario brothers 
three and then and then world like this was actually something that we hadn't seen in video games before because of you know minimal 8-bit processing power actually made having a character go along you know rather than up and down actually going down or up at an angle was actually yeah. a you know a complicated thing but it adds you know it adds such a lot to to a 2d game that bit probably the the, the it's a thing's called the rat in grotto that bit where you're running <laughs> the, down the uh, down the slides that's yeah. for me the the bit with um most kind of rng variants to to die at any point um that's if if i if i took every take that i had if i took like uh, the percentage of of deaths of uh of of kind of 90 percent of clears that get past the first level um i reckon a lot of them uh deaths in that deaths in the starter level four or specifically that downward section of the of the the second half of level four which is just yeah it's a nightmare boss quite quite a quite a challenge as well huh, yeah it's a, it's a yeah that bus is a that, that, that's one of the few buses in the game where like um you said earlier about and we'll go into different weapons but like the sword like you can't do that bus with a sword so if yeah, you get no. the sword and you get there you've got to kill yourself and try and get another weapon yeah. awesome <laughs> yeah cheers capcom and all thanks that. <laughs> yeah yeah i just wanted to say about the art and the graphics in this yes. game i think this game is really really gorgeous uh it must have been the time it came out must have been one of the best looking things of its uh, of its time and it's still just just the, the the overall design like that first boss the shielder it's just so amazing to look at with the, the big, big green face sprites. and uh yeah really big sprites and then it pulls off its head and then walks towards you i mean the, even the, the 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 very final real boss on loop 2 lucifer is also just amazing looking it's a massive sprite isn't it yeah yeah incredible i do wonder even back in obviously we we were still uh some years away from the ps1 uh, listen to our playstation one show if you want to hear a little bit more about that it's on our patreon now um but i think we were just at the point where maybe the fact that sega had done so much with sprite scaling i think maybe some people were starting to look at 2d games as if they were a bit retro and so i think maybe this didn't quite get the level of appreciation or attention that it possibly deserved at the time um just in the sense that people were playing outrun and afterburner and galaxy force and all this stuff yeah, um, it's, and not a, it's not a spectacle cap per se but i mean we no. still we were still before street fighter 2 which graphically knocked yeah. a lot of people out and you know, 2D wasn't done yet at that time. No, oh gosh, and, and clearly still isn't to this day after a yeah, yeah. after a worrying few years. Yeah, but years, it, I think but... even in the the, the wider sense wider mm. uh, sense of acceptance, uh, and that that flaming village that it looks yeah, that's fantastic, so incredible. Yeah, and it's all covered in this kind of yeah, like nasty. I don't know, is it like purplish ectoplasmy goop or something just the sense that everything's been kind yeah of... that's the, the first bit but um village of the k yeah. about the, the burning the burning village and then the burning uh, part the yeah yeah the burning yeah. part yeah lovely fire nothing yeah. quite like the the lick of 16 bit flames i, don't I mean think. that is pretty horrific really i mean if you're talking yeah. about like you said you said about we we didn't want to go too kind of i guess mm. like, i get like splatter horror kind of thing but we didn't want to go too yeah almost horror that second level yeah it's like a it's like a plagued village at the start and then you, you get halfway through it and then it's uh there's like a, a red arama sitting on a massive pile of skulls skulls yeah. and yeah, then uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then there's a village that's been burnt to the ground presumably yeah. as some kind of cleansing as a result of said plague so like yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty yeah, dark all the, all the skulls of all the dead people yeah exactly <laughs> yeah true. he's just sitting on the <laughs> top chucking them at you 
it's a yeah. totally different approach to yeah Namco's Splatterhouse, which was you know full blown slasher, yeah, um, horror with with some sort of extra influence from like uh, Lovecrafty and stuff and things like that. But it was like yeah, it's the the Splatterhouse games are this kind of mishmash of all the all the goopy stuff from the from from eighty cinema uh, and beyond. Whereas this um, you can actually see in the I guess they the title screen still has this kind of bloody splash to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, or yeah. maybe that's almost a remnant from, from when they were thinking of going down this path. But actually what you end up with, there's very little blood, if any. Um, but there is all this sort of, yeah, this rather more sinister implied horror. Exactly, um, yeah. Among among the comedy of, of the uh, the middle-aged man running around in his pants and getting turned into a duck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> things like that. Uh, yeah it's a strange one yeah this is this is one of the things that i think struck me about when we recorded the ghost show is like actually i'd never thought about what a weird kind of scenario and aesthetic this game actually has yeah and then there's the golden armor yes what a what a magnificent uh (laughs) sprite what yeah what magnificent sprite work that is just so strong and iconic and it it makes it changes arthur completely where he in his regular iron armor, he looks, mm. you know, kind of like a like a comical knight. But he actually looks imposing, almost in his golden right. armor. Still uh, only takes with, one uh, flipping hit, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh. with, 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 but with his, uh, you know, the, the the fluttering red cape behind him and everything, he, yeah. he all of a sudden looks like he's up to the task. And his kind of hero pose when you do his uh, super moves as yeah. well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He, he looks like he's been promoted. His fist. <laughs> <laughs> he l- looks like he's been promoted like you say like he's like a, just a regular kind of a soldier and then uh, he gets his golden armor and geezer's the general he's up for it do you know what i mean he yeah. deserves to be by now if he's gone through if, if we're assuming that the events of ghosts and goblins was canon and he actually won hence there's a sequel um i think he deserves his promotion more than <laughs> it also uh, took me by surprise a little bit that uh but maybe we're running a little bit ahead now but that in this game, as opposed to uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, the the armor power up actually doesn't change the way your weapons work. It just gives you um, magic powers only. It changes based on what weapon you've got, but it doesn't change. The, yeah, it doesn't change the yeah, weapon. The weapon yeah. it, ch- it changes. Change. Um, it changes the psycho cannon, but nothing else. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, the psycho psych- cannon has uh, further range. Uh, yeah, than, further range, but more ooh, power. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, before we get on to that, uh, let's talk about the sound design. So, as I say, uh, the composer was actually a different one, although I think obviously Ayako Mori does deserve credit for that famous first level tune coming back in the first level again in this game. Uh, but the rest of the tunes written by Tamayo Kawamoto. Uh, she's a Capcom composer who worked on uh, earlier games for for the arcades. Uh, Many of them, Avengers, Black Tiger, Tiger Road, Sun Sun, the Speed Rumbler, lots of the lots of the early Capcom stuff. Also, Forgotten Worlds. Uh, her most recent credit um, was actually Thunder Force Six, but that was only a sound production support. Um, she doesn't appear to have done uh, a soundtrack for a game since the spiritual successor, Maximo Ghosts to Glory, in two thousand and one. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what she's doing now. Hope she's okay. Um, but I think that as well as still adoring that opening level tune, which I think is an all timer for me, um, I think some of her work for this game really eclipses a lot of the stuff that was in the first game. Uh, the second level tune is again, one of my all time favorites, uh, of gaming. I woke, uh, I woke up with that tune in my head this morning. Oh, it's so addictive. <laughs> it's such an earworm. Yeah. It's incredible. 
Yeah. We were when uh, I was on uh, Sound of Play, we talked about that. I believe yeah. that was uh, that was one of my. Uh, yeah, I still, I don't know. I still get a bit twitchy when I hear it now, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. There's, a, there's the sound also when you're playing it in the game, you've got the sound of those heavy predator mask bouncing turtles coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> clang, clang, clang. So um, yeah. it's nice just to listen to it outside of that scenario sometime. Uh, and also we, we already mentioned uh, uh, the uh, the crystal cave. Um, the music in that section is is spine tingling, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's it's the effect. Like it's it's. I don't know. For for me, like at, at that point, there wasn't. There was a lot of video game music, um, but there wasn't a lot that was kind of experimenting with different kind of with with a lot of layers for me, and a lot of kind right. of like kind of. If you hear like a guitar, and you have like a lot of different pedals and effects that you can put on it, like this is one of those those ones that I feel like um, kind of really really kind of takes advantage of the technology that they had at that point. Um, with the way that the, and especially in that first section where um, the kind of descent is kind of layered, there's there's like three tracks going on at once, and they all kind mm. of progress kind of differently, and uh, with with like a lot of sustain on one and a lot of echo on another, and it just kind of creates a kind of it kind of sounds, it's it's like when you first hear it, like it sounds offbeat. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like they've lined it up wrong. It's like the start of like uh, yes. Barbara O'Reilly by The Who. It's like, this right. doesn't sound right. But then yeah, when, yeah, when gotcha. that groove yeah. kind of locks in in your head, you're like, right, this is perfect. I completely yeah. understand what they were doing here. And I kind of the first couple of times I was like, have they messed this recording up? This doesn't sound like cause there's so much going on. And then when it clicks, I was like, oh, okay, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's slightly dissonant. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's really interesting in that regard. I think also there, there may be, obviously this is a Capcom game. We're still uh, a little, we're, it's, I can't remember what year, what, was, what year was Sweet Home? It was around this time, but um, uh, obviously Resident Evil was a few years away. And, and I, I also think there's some, some connection between the ghouls games goat and ghost games whatever you want to call them the makaimura games and uh, and the resident evil canon that slightly um humorous yet scary sort of quality to it um and i i do think of the safer music when i think of some of the sounds in in ghouls and ghosts like that that sort of that that contrast between feeling somewhat secure but also still aware that unpleasant things are happening somewhere <laughs> just outside the door um carl you you again just being young um like i know sometimes with with scary stuff when you're very young things can kind of go over your head or sometimes they can really creep you out and freak you out to the point you know like I've, there have been bits of games that uh I've, that i know my niece for instance has been you know she's yeah. been too scared to continue playing nothing like actually horror like just things that you know might freak you out um do you remember yeah. the music in this game or, or the atmosphere as a whole being something that intrigued you or or unsettled you in a in a sort of delicious way so this is a strange one because uh, this is where it kind of blends between the versions slightly right yeah. um, which you've already kind of alluded to um at the start so when i played it in the arcade it only had the sound chip running for the effects and not oh, the music right so the actual arcade music was never um something that i had an affinity with um whereas the music that i remember is generally tim follin's work on the amiga release mm. yeah um which i'm far more familiar with uh, because for a start, it's one of my favourite sound chips going. I, I just have a real thing about Amiga music that I absolutely adore. Um, and Tim Follin was obviously, he's he's right up there um, in terms of quality. And I just 
there was a lot of really cool stuff that he did with the Amiga version, um, as well as obviously the original music for the main screen uh, or the title music. Mm. Um, but it was just an interesting um, sort of sound palette that he used on the Amiga that I, I really like. Some of it was it, absolutely terrifying, the Amiga version. Like, there's, it's a real, uh, it sounds like the it's really apocalyptic rather than the slightly yeah. jollier uh, tunes. And then, you, yeah, they're like, I think I picked the, the, the main title on my first, on our first ever sound of play certainly one of the first two it's this insanely um ambitious complicated sort of uh prog jazz rock fusion kind of affair it's it's got no real business being in cools and coast but uh but he certainly works it it is it is a little bit strange and i mean in doing some research for the show i found out that you know we know that tim Follin played tricks i mean he used his own uh, music format for creating sound files on the Amiga. Um, but it, he used the voice sample that says Secret Authority backwards throughout the Amiga release. Um, and obviously everyone knows that when words are said backwards, it's a little bit creepy. You know, it's that kind of dark side of the moon trick again where with sort of backwards language. And I, I just always thought that was cool. And like you said, it was a little bit unsettling. Um, it definitely felt a little bit darker than a lot of the games that I'd associated. But when it came to the sound from the arcade release, um, I generally, when it came to music, don't associate too strongly with them. Uh, it's more that when I talk about the arcade, I'm remembering sound bits or sound yeah. pieces, such as the ringing telephone from Final Fight and that kind of thing, because that's generally what those machines had on more than the music. There's some um, quite harsh and grating effects in Ghouls and Ghosts, which are, I think yes. are deliberately supposed to, you know, rise up above the cacophony around you in an arcade to alert oh, you to the absolutely. terrors. Yeah, yeah. so that, that that's kind of, when you're talking about the music, it's kind of strange because I don't really associate this game with music as much as I actually do the sound effects of the enemies or uh, throwing your lance, etc. That kind of, those kinds of sound effects mm. are what I think of. But yeah, I definitely, um, upon listening back and becoming more familiar with the different releases, because I did play the Mega Drive version as well, which fantastic version of the game. Definitely not arcade perfect, but very, very good. And yeah, the, the, I like the music, but I think my time had gone to be something that I'd loved. It would have had to have been in that moment of playing it in the arcade when um, I was really getting into it. In terms of the uh, the sound effects then, uh, Ben, have you got to a point now, having played this as much as you have, we've already established uh, where the sound is just, um, it's got to that point where you don't even acknowledge it anymore or do you still appreciate it on an aesthetic level? I don't know. It's kind of burned into my subconscious on some level, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you're right about there is various points where um, there is kind of really piercing kind of bits of a, uh, Bits of sound effect. You know, you mentioned mm. at the start of um, the start of level two, obviously where the turtle shells come down is really kind of a uh, is really quite loud. Mm. Or in um, level four in the in the um, in the crystal forest bit uh, before you go onto the downhill bit, you got those those kind of rather like alien looking things that come through the wall, the heads, the the sound that they make when they spit kind of gets me as well. Like it's yeah. just I just because that always just feels like danger to be honest with you. But uh, the, the the soundtrack itself is probably one of those one of those ones that I've just I, I've listened to consistently. I, st I, the, I listen to a song from Girls and Ghosts every day, 
without fail. I'll always put one on and I'll always listen to one. And yes. I have done for the past nine months or something, probably longer than that. Now it's knocking on a year now, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. So 12 yeah. months. Mm. Um, and it's, it's for me, like it's, it, it, it's kind of when you see like games that come out at certain points, um, and you, people talk about like it's a chance kind of combination of things when the kind of planets align. And for me, this kind of game feels like that a little bit because you can a hundred percent like guarantee that the kind of game they wanted to make when they made this would have been the game they would have made if they had the technology back then. If that makes sense, this is like mm. a, a perfect like for for the, for the 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 members of the team that they had to kind of move forward and make this, uh, and the technology just jumped forward to the point where they could say, yeah, well, you can do all this now. I think that's what created this kind of this whole thing and the sound for me is like uh, like I say there's just there's bits you could play me that start music now and I'd set up and look for my controller do you know yeah. what I mean like I can't it <laughs> just surprised. that music's like uh, that, that mentally bit switches of, uh, bit of PTSD that's, swear, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. honestly 100% like you play that you play me that start music you play me that music now I'll set up straight and look for my controller I'm switched on at that point and like yeah. uh, it's just it's, it's, it's crazy to think that but I mean that's that's it is i can't imagine it's one of the like i never play it without the sound on it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem right, right. Yeah. yeah i think um there are certain points with with games uh, like this i.e games where you might have very short lives and where the music doesn't loop so it just kicks you know it goes back to the start kind of thing when you die and sometimes you're just getting into the swing of the melody of the main piece and then you die and then it goes back to the start and i mean the, the real skill is that the fact that a lot of the time i am still happy after 30 years of playing this on and off to to listen to those tunes again yeah and that ben is after hundreds of hours in recent times but they do with a lot of games there is a point where you go ah the sound is driving me insane Just yeah not same, this again not yeah. this again mm. but um yeah i don't think this really has that I, I i don't think i would want to play this game while listening to a podcast or some other music or no yeah. Yeah, with Ghosts and Goblins, I felt to like to turn the the sound down, down at one point, uh, yeah. repeating stage six over and over again. Yeah. And I put yeah. on some, I put on a vinyl record of uh, Public Enemy. Yes. This time I didn't do that, but what I did do, I just let the sound play and everything. I let everything on, but yeah. I did turn on some pe podcasts in the background, just right. as a sort of a calming effect. So, yeah. uh, some whale you know, song. And this is almost <laughs> uh, almost almost nothing that. Uh, this is nothing that I, that I ever do because when I play a game, I want to play play a game to its fullest extent and also hear the sound and everything, which I still did. But I just, you know, something to listen to while I'm repeating a level Absolutely. level for the hundredth uh, time, yes. uh, just to keep keep me keep me sort of uh, drugged almost. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the the music in certain certain parts of levels, like really ties ties up kind of thematically with kind of what's happening and in level uh, in level two like there's there's it it's so strange that that uh, village of decay song is because it's so jaunty in places and like you're kind of running up this hill and there's these giant turtles and and it, do you know what i mean it's it's kind of a, a jaunty little melody and mm -hmm. then uh you get it's almost if you if you kind of run it pretty well you get to the point where you're jumping over those bridges that are all collapsing trying not to get eaten by the ant lion and then yeah. the the kind of it goes into like a really a really kind of nice like minor key with like a really strange progression and the whole thing turns really sinister and that's yeah. at, that's at the point where the level turns sinister 
Like that's it does the point. feel like it was absolutely choreographed and designed yeah, exactly. to, to be. And it's, yeah, and, so that's, just the suspense that's built throughout that. The theme from level yeah. three, like when you're at the start, when you're in um, when you're in Baron Rankle's tower and you're going up, there's that little sound effect. It sounds like somebody pressing like a bell, like a, mm-hmm. and it's so strange you don't hear it anywhere else but that that music kind of creeps in and then there's just that sound effect of that bell and then it gets kind of faster and faster and it's like it builds up a ridiculous amount of tension and, and then to, those those weird armors filled with purple goop yeah it's it <laughs> yeah there's a lot there's the, there's so much kind of this this the, the music kind of it had to be good but more than it being good it had to kind of really kind of in, encapsulate what the game is trying to do and for me i think i said it when we did sound of play but it's kind of one of those soundtracks that really opened my eyes at uh, playing it at that time even when i played it do you mean late 90s uh looking back at a game at that time where music was more than just something that was on in the background you know it kind of like uh, it it narrated that story kind of uh it narrated that story of what you were doing perfectly that's beautifully put there is one thing i did want to say um regarding the sound um and it reminded it's something Michael said earlier about playing it a little bit more tentatively than you would play other things and almost um being on the defense more than the attack and it's that when i play 2d platformers uh, a thing i tend to fall into is i play them rhythmically with the sound yeah so mm-hmm. if i'm playing mario um everything kind of matches and you make your own rhythm from the sounds of the jumps to um like landing on enemies and firing fireballs and everything falls into some strange cadence where everything comes together and you hit that kind of zen. Yeah. But that doesn't happen with me at all. And this is one of the rare games where that's not the case because as part of that, jumping tends to form into that cadence that you fall into. But because when you jump, you're kind of, you well, you are, you're entirely committed to that jump. You don't have the aftertouch or anything like that. I find that I kind of break off playing on the rhythm of how everything is in the game, mm. and that makes me a little bit twitchier, a little bit more... Yeah. Um, I fall out of my own comfort zone mm. of how I want to play it, and it costs me lots of lives as a result because I yeah, struggle to sure. hit that zen. Um, and it, a lot of what that said, and I think you know, we mentioned it very strongly uh, way back when we did the Tetris show, which is maybe the Zen game of Zen games, where the music and the sound and everything comes together, and you just go to this other place. And I find that place very, very difficult to fall into when I play uh, Ghouls and Ghosts, and that's not I think a bad it may be thing. Deliberate. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the that same way that the Mario the music is you... clearly meant to be a jaunty jump along. You know, well, that's it. Yeah. And the thing is, when people struggle at Mario, it's generally because they don't play it aggressively enough. You should be running. You should be going full tilt into stuff. And you can't do that in this game. And it's just a way that um, it kind of takes you out of your own stride. And it it's a very clever way of making it a little bit more difficult. Even to the point when Ben said that the music is kind of two pieces of music that are kind of offset from each other. And you end up having to almost do stuff in the offbeat of this game, and it's all slightly shifted one step to the On left the of where it should be. Yeah. 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 And I think it's very clever. I was going to say, Ben, actually, watching you playing uh, again on a successful run, but obviously the technique is, is honed from all those unsuccessful runs. One thing that surprised me watching you playing it was uh, the kind of the speedrunner's technique of actually you jump 
most of the or a lot of the time on on the flat um because it's faster than walking arthur is has never been the most nimble he's wearing his armor he's a middle-aged man he's he's not He's he's not a super powered plumber, uh, with, on mushrooms. He's a he's a he's this guy, and I noticed. Yeah, you were like basically skip skip skipping through the stages, um, which seems to be really reckless to me. But um, you were obviously making it work. Yeah, I think like like um, you jump in terms of covering ground, you can jump uh, f- between forty and forty five percent quicker than you can the requisite kind of walking would be. Um, there's certain times when that's really kind of quite uh, that's really quite advantageous but the mm. problem that you've got is you've got to know when that is and when that isn't because yes. the, the like the worst thing that you can do to try and get a really and it, it's the same with any of these games if you're trying to get like a really really good clear what you've got to do is minimize risk um, and, and it's just two very different kind of dynamics there uh, increasing speed means you'll get through session, sections faster, which means maybe that enemy won't have a chance to attack you. Maybe you won't have a yeah. chance to spawn that other enemy. But it mm. also means that you're going to have less chance to react if something does go wrong. Precisely. And so, mm. like, that's the kind of the the, the, the balance that you've got. Yeah. Like, um, in the uh, the second half of the, the second level, the, the, um, the, the Town of Fire, when you first go down onto that platform um, and where, where the fire's kind of raising and, and what's it there, you can jump two or three times and miss a couple of spawns of the bats. But yeah, yeah. in jumping forward like that, what you've got to be aware of is that two jumps will take you into the path of that uh, the Venus flytrap that's going to spit the eye. So what you need to do is walk, fire a couple of bullets, and then walk them on. Because what will happen then is you won't get the spawn and the, the flytrap will die before it gets a chance to fire. But yeah. it's, it's, you've got to be so spot on with it. And it's like yeah. there's, there's, there's ways I've seen people play that just by jumping. And that's the... <laughs> and that's yeah that's lunacy but that's that's that kind of uh that's that that kind of thing i was going to say on on the subject of uh doing things in different ways actually that i kind of forgotten that like for instance on level one there's a choice of paths up the hill basically yeah. um i i just out of curiosity because i hadn't taken it for like 20 years i decided to go the other way today and of course i died um <laughs> Well, that may be just because I didn't know it, but uh, it felt so, so. Although they didn't do the actual full-blown branching levels, yeah, they did. There, there are certain sections within certain bits of levels where there is a certain amount of choice. Um, in your expert opinion, are is it is there always one that is definitely the way to go, or is it just whichever one you learn and prefer? Um, I. <laughs> I think if you're talking about that bit on level one where you're running up the, the hills and there's the, the stuff like that, there's so much RNG there that what you need to do is kind of, um, it's like taking a penalty. You need to know where you're going to go before you step up. And that's, yeah. the, that's the thing with that. Um, I've seen both ways done. I've seen both ways done well. Um, I always do the, I always usually do the way of going up the first ladder and then going left rather mm-hmm. than yeah. then going right and going up. Yeah. Um, also as well, because if you go left, there's another two treasure chests you can spawn. Um, and if you've taken a hit in any of the other sections, you can get yourself a, you can get yourself some armor back. Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what, what you have to do is uh, what you've just got to do is commit to that, really, um, and, and know what you're doing, kind of uh, before. Mm. But that's the thing, like you practice. Never change that. your mind. No, you can't. You can't get there and go. Oh no! Don't let the game look you in the eye. No, because that's the second. <laughs> the second you stop, it's got you. The, se- the second you stop, like that thing that you haven't hit has had time to, to fire something on the screen and then you've got something else to worry about and, and then it becomes less about, do you know what I mean? Then it, then it becomes less about, um becomes more about reactions and less about kind of plan response really. And I think that's the, when, when you kind of just, I don't know, when you're in spots where all you're relying on is 
reactions, then you, you're always going to die. Do you know what I mean? It's funny, funny you said that about the burning uh, village as well, because when you were speaking about certain sections are advantageous to do fast, that was the first one that came to mind, because I learned to really run through that part uh, before you meet Cerberus. The other part actually for me is the icy descent uh, after the Crystal Forest to uh, to the uh, Ome boss. I did that because I I the, the Ome boss is probably the hardest bit in the whole game for me. Yeah. Uh, so as a result, I had to do that section over and over and over again, the slippery descent. Yeah. And to a point where I feel like I could pretty much speed run it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, I rarely die in that descent, but it's always the boss where I lose yeah. uh, lose my lives. So that section also I found is really uh, yeah, it's really advantageous to do it fast, where you just run down those hills and what are the, the hand things with the funny faces the yeah. noobs right yeah, yeah. Uh, i usually just run towards them and start smashing them with uh, with my weapon before they have a chance to fire a projectile yeah and then or, I'll or, run, one, it, I'll or run. one it kill you <laughs> yeah and and then out the the uh let's say the worms uh, that spawn they don't have a chance to keep up with me because by the time they spawn i'm already past them mm. mm-hmm. so it's uh, yeah it's really I I've, I thought I should record that bit actually the way how how I'm blitzing that section. Yeah, you should do. It's, it's quite the rush after a while when you got it down. No, you got to do is tie all the sections together. Yep, uh, <laughs> you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've mentioned uh, Arthur's upgrade in this game, the golden armor that permits him to unleash powerful magic. Apart from that, uh, it it doesn't power him up as such uh still only has the one hit uh, i guess the most significant gameplay difference along with that compared to the first game is that uh arthur is now available able to attack in four directions rather than just the two uh, so being able to shoot up and down obviously opens up the the game to yeah basically put more things above and below you that need shooting particularly above whereas a lot of stuff may have spawned in ghosts and goblins that would descend upon you it was more about working out where it was you know where it was headed towards and and uh, timing your run or and or jump whereas now there's actually quite a lot of shooting overhead which um even though it's still as we've said, a very, very challenging game. Uh, it does actually make you feel that much stronger and, and less vulnerable just being able to shoot upwards. Yeah, shooting down's a good mechanism as well. We talked before um, about uh, that vulnerability when you kind of jump. Um, that's one bit of mitigation that you do have. True. Um, if, you make, if you make that jump and uh, there's something that appears in your, in your kind of projected kind of landing spot, you have got a shot of maybe not dying if you can yeah. if you can jump and uh, that's true fast. it's still actually quite hard to execute though isn't it to yes, shoot down yeah. it is indeed yeah. but like i say it's it's one of those kind of uh, yeah i've had a couple of those like if you watch the uh, if you watch the no death clear there's one yes. uh, on the the second loop of world three on the tongs there's a bit where i jump and there's a fly that's just in my path and i just managed to take out because that would have killed me obviously um yeah I know, right? You don't, Those oh, are yeah. the, the exciting bits from your from your video. Yeah, <laughs> that's the the, the, cl- the clutch moments. The amount yeah, of YouTube that... comments under your videos, which is just like you know, I had a knot in my stomach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I, the then, thing. That one's yeah. that video, as you might imagine, it's, it's got the record for like number of comments. I think it's got like over a hundred, and uh, nice. and 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 yeah, that there is like I watch it back myself, and and like every now and again, and it's still ridiculous. But there are those those bits that even though I know what's going to happen and I know everything's going to be all right, 
I still do get that little knot, like you say, when you jump and something God. just appears underneath yeah. you, and you're like, right, I've got, <laughs> I've got to kind of, uh, I've got to kind of do something about this. But yeah, like you say, this, the, the the ability to fire kind of, um, to kind of fire upwards, and that's a mechanic that's tested very early on. When you think the fact that uh, on the first level the path splits into two, doesn't it, with the guillotines? So you've got mm -hmm. like those enemies above you, and then when you get to that tree that's full of those vultures, um, yeah. you can use kind of a, if you haven't already got magic by then, uh, uh, that 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 most magics kind of are, are well versed to take that out. Um, you can um, inch forward and shoot inch up. forward, yeah, and shoot them all up, yeah. not just run in the middle and spawn them all. <laughs> that's actually a great. Uh, I was going to mention that bit because the first time you get there. I uh, don't think you've honestly, even if you played the predecessor game and you've played up to that point, I remember feeling, I, I still remember getting to that bit the first time, probably on the Mega Drive, and feeling hugely intimidated because I've yeah, never exactly. seen so many enemies in one of these games on screen seven, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. and, and you're, ne you know, you're assuming, because it's the game that it is, that they're all going to swoop immediately. Actually, it's quite easy to pick your way along. Yeah. There's also yeah. a lovely visual touch with the, the feathers float down as, as yeah. you take them out. You don't even have but, to kill them, to be honest. You can just run no. on. Right, yeah. if, you go, if you go onto the big guillotine and jump, then as you run onto the next bit, they all arc upwards. So they all come on a horizontal plane following you. And then as you take as right. you take about, as you scroll the screen about halfway in, the wind gets them and they all blow straight upwards. So like oh, you don't yeah. have, so you don't have to uh, you don't have to actually kill them. Never even knew that. I know, right? Yeah, it's funny that just the ability to fire upwards and downwards is really that's what it, what you would have needed in the in Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah, damn really right. A lot of stuff that uh, that. <laughs> throws at you yeah level so six at level six it'd be cake if you could shoot upwards it'd be like. going back. yeah <laughs> but but level five in ghouls and ghosts it's kind of trivial the the ability to fire upwards trivializes the the pig demons uh, that uh, that patrol that area because you don't have to get on their same level you can just fire it from yeah fire exactly from under them they yeah. vomit on you now though they do indeed yeah but you can you can easily stun lock them before they do that yeah yeah, I, I wondered if the firing up was, you know, in direct um, response to people's complaints about that section uh, in, in the first game, which was, you know, brutally unfair in, in many ways. All the arrows yeah. as well, to be honest. It's a, yeah. Good, yeah. It's, a good, uh, it's a good kind of antidote to beating them. Yeah, they still overall, the game isn't really any easier, I would say. They certainly, no. you know, they gave you that power, but, but they also just made things. It's the illusion of safety, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk weapons, um, the options, the pros and cons of each. Uh, so you start with a lance. Uh, I think you can do anything in the game with the lance other than finish the game, right? Yeah. But it's a little slower. Um, the axe is a pain in the butt normally. Um, any good uses for the axe that any of you guys have found? Um, or is it one to always avoid? Uh, the axe is decent on the first part of level three, uh, Baron Rankle's Tower, because a lot of those enemies uh, that drop the stones all group up. And the thing with the axe is that oh, yeah. the, the thing with the axe is that it'll go through anything, um, so it won't stop. Right. But the problem with that is the firing rate. You think the firing rate is terrible? It isn't. It's just the fact that you can't have more than two on screen, yes. and it won't hit an enemy and then stop. So, like, what it'll do is it'll go the entire length yep. of the screen. Yep. So, like, um, it is quite. It, it's the problem is it's only handy for that bit. So, what you really need to do uh, is there's there's a lot of treasure chests in that bit. Uh, if you can get the axe, it's good to kind of get it to clear that path, and then you can get another weapon before you have to run under the the, the lowering platforms and get to the tongs, basically. But that's it. Uh, it's handy at that point. Uh, it's not too bad um, at that point in uh, level uh, four that the um, 
before you go on the downhill bit and the crystal forest like um uh the the bit where there's the the towers that fire the, the rocks at you and the aliens that bit's yeah. all right with the axe because you can you don't have to get on their level it's got a, a slight kind of upward arc to it like you say there's there's this kind of there's situational stuff in this game uh, and the window of it being situational is very kind of uh, very kind of slim and unlike mm. as, as we we compared earlier to the the souls games if you could have them all it'd be perfect but yeah. uh, if I've got the axe, then I've got the axe. So uh, yeah. I, I've got to like uh, figure out then how to go on and beat it. Uh... I can't actually remember because I did play some of the uh, the ultimate Ghosts and Goblins on the PSP, uh, which was the the mid two thousands um, kind of successor. Um, I can't actually remember if that one allowed you to have an inventory and select weapons. It would be a lovely game for us to cover someday, but obviously it's difficult to to actually play unless you've yeah. got a PSP and a UMD it's not available on the on the PSN service which is a real shame obviously emulation may be a possibility but um yes it, it this this is not that game you do not get to pick and choose so mm-hmm. if you're stuck with what feels like a slow firing weapon as you say it isn't actually slow firing it's just that it, there's one on the screen and it stays on screen for a long time exactly um it can be fatal to <laughs> not be able to shoot <laughs> Certain points. Yeah, it's it's terrible for the for that icy descent. The axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're going down and it's up fire zone. It's like yes. completely the opposite. Does it deliberately <laughs> yeah. try to give you one just before? What's yeah? What's before we continue through the the weapons? What I still don't understand fully the spawning patterns and rules. But I, I, you must have this completely locked down, Ben. Um, how it generally works, um, is that the on on it splits the levels up in it so the levels are split up into two parts the first chest you get on any part um so if you're on the first part of the first level the first chest you get will always be a magician um and then the next one if you've still got all your armor will be golden armor if you've taken a hit then it'll be silver armor um if you've then got a uh, silver armor if you get another chest it'll be a weapon um uh, and then generally it's a rotation of a weapon golden armor mm. And then once you've got golden armor, it's generally two or three weapons to one wizard. But there isn't a um, there isn't a there isn't a set path to what weapons you get. No, nope. uh, right. and there isn't a way of spawning particular weapons. No, nope. um, that, so you. So that's still that's still luck. Yes. Yeah. RNG. Yeah. yeah. So, what uh, what ROM sets have you been playing on, Ben? Um, I've played on. I've I've dabbled on all of them to be honest. My clear was on the uh, USA ROM set. I want to say. I yeah. did a weapon roulette on the world ROM set, um, and I haven't done anything. Well, I've done one credit clears on the uh, on the the Japanese ROM set, but I haven't done. I haven't recorded like anything uh, like right. that really. So, um, yeah. Easiest to hardest uh, listener is uh, USA is actually the easiest version. World, uh, which went everywhere else other than Japan, is the medium version. And uh, yeah, Japan, uh, the original Japanese game is is the toughest incarnation. Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, when you say weapon roulette, what do you mean by that? Oh, yeah. So like um, somebody messaged me about it and uh, they basically said it'd be a cool challenge that uh, you have to do a one credit clear on, on Ghouls and Ghosts. And uh, every time you spawn a weapon, with the exception of two chests where 99% of the time you die if you try and collect them, you could leave. Right. Um, but every time you spawned a weapon, you had to collect it. Um, <laughs> and then until you get to the last level, um, because obviously then you need a certain weapon, as is the custom with these games, to beat a, yes. to beat a final boss. The only other caveat I had was that uh, if I got a sword on the descent on level four, I'd leave that because obviously you can't kill yeah. uh, Ohm with a sword. Um, Makes sense. And so... Uh, that was the 
the kind of clear really um and it was yeah that so was the reason why i asked you about the uh rum you were playing on is because i wonder if this is different but in the world thrum which is on the ps2 uh, uh capcom classics volume one uh c- compilation if i spawn on the uh the, the magician is always uh the first thing yeah. to spawn on a new level if i take a hit after that after having spawned a magician and I'm in my, my underwear, uh, the next uh, chest will is not going to be an armor or a golden armor. It's going to be a magician again. Yeah, yeah. You 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 don't you never get on the USA one. You never get back to back magicians. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, on the on this one definitely back to back magicians. <sighs> yeah. So if basically yeah. if you're in your underwear, you're already sc- screwed in terms of collecting yeah. uh, armor. You have to spawn a third or a fourth magician to even get a, get your get your armor back. Yeah. And in case we haven't made it clear uh, to those who haven't played the game, the magicians are kind of sorcerers, uh, tricksters, who prank you by shooting out a fairly uh, wide ranging spell. Uh, it is possible to dodge or or even um, get them get the trajectory of the spell to to miss you but oftentimes it will hit you and it will turn you into either old man arthur uh who is much slower can fire but uh very slow to move and jump or a duck who can't yeah. fire an adorable uh, duck i must say very cute duck. lovely little red bow tie and he quacks while he's walking around here's a, a quacking animation duck. But not very good for completing goals. And not goals. really. No, <laughs> this is a this is a, a time run. limited, uh, a time limited thing. But um, it's it doesn't last that long in real terms. But in ghouls and ghost terms, it feels like an eternity. Exactly. And if you take a hit as a duck, you don't just you don't like term, you just become a human skeleton again and are dead. <laughs> There's no duck skeleton, which was disappointing. I guess they ran out of sprites. <laughs> um, so the sword you mentioned, so you don't have to pick that up on the the, the icy descent. Yes. Why is that for those you... who don't know? Oh, because the, the boss at the end of level four is uh, is Ohm. <laughs> uh, and so the way Ohm works is that once you get to the bottom of the icy descent, you've got, um, you jump on the back of a giant kind of a, a parasite, basically. Yeah. And it's got five uh, hearts in the center of its kind of body. Um, they hearts, and then yeah, they're supposed to be hearts. Yeah, oh, okay. um, and so how they it sp- works? They spa- spawn larva. Yeah, so so there's there's basically two things kind of uh, kind of going on. You've got larva that go across the top of of where you're trying to run, and you've got these kind of big kind of larva kind of dragon things that fly across. Quite artificial. And what yeah, very. And what you need to do is you need to take those five kind of hearts out that are at a lower level to the to yeah. where you're kind of standing. So you need a projectile weapon in order to be able to do that the sword is twice yeah. as powerful as any of the other weapons in terms of physical damage it does but obviously it hasn't got any kind of range even the magic for the um uh, for the sword is unsuitable to to kind of get that uh, yeah. to get that kill and those of you who saw my uh, uh weapon roulette clear will know that for both clears of ohm the game trolled me and gave me the uh, the firebomb feels like which it is, really does to me. yeah it really did because like when the the firebomb will go through but you can't land it on the back of what you're on so killing the lava is really hard um but yeah nightmare but yeah that's so that's the thing i couldn't hear what 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 do you mean with that because you you can throw throw it down at the heart yeah well if if you're just standing um so all the other weapons will go kind of across or up or whatever like uh, if you stand and throw a bomb it goes up and then down kind of on that kind of upwards kind of arc so what'll happen is it won't the surface that you're running on which is the back of home it'll go through that 
and it'll go down straight towards the ear. So if you stand kind of, if you've got the five hearts, if you stand above the left-hand one and face right, if you just shoot, it'll hit the right-hand one by going through the back of Ohm. It won't hit, yeah. it won't hit his back and then cause a flame, which is good Correct. because you yeah. can you can get it like that, but it's but bad because lava. the lava that come to you, yeah, you can't, yeah, you've got to have you your can... shot spot on. You can't miss uh, by, yeah, by you anything. Can't miss, uh... Because yeah. I was convinced that uh, the firebomb was actually... The firebomb is great. Uh, this is the, one of the uh, instances where it's great for that descent, actually. It uh, really yeah. makes short, short work of everything. Yeah, it isn't bad uh, for the descent. Yeah, for the descent, it's great. And I was convinced. I saw your... Uh, I, I re-watched your uh, No Death Clear again, where you swore by the dagger. Yeah. And the... Uh, you know, it's magic with the... With the where you can... Complete, the clone. Or you, you, the, the aftermath, yeah, the clone. And I swore, like... I think the firebomb might e might be even better, precisely because you can throw it down. And it takes out the hearts fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, and the magic is great. So if you charge up the magic uh, with the uh, uh, from the firebomb, it's it it uh, actually can take out a lot of stuff and uh, the hearts as well, except for the dragon larvae, which are yeah, ir that's... irritatingly enough invulnerable, which makes which is really what makes this boss so hard. Yeah, and um, the, the problem with the, the 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 problem with the magic as well um, is the fact that once you cast once the magic's been cast. You can't move for a second, um, yeah. and you get a very small window of invincibility, um, incredibly small. Like on the on yeah. the Super Nintendo version, it's extended considerably, but on this version, you got a really really small kind of window. And the problem is that if you cast that magic and one of the lava things appears on top of you, you're dead because you can't yeah. move far enough to get out of the kind of uh, to get True. out the path for it. The only magic you want to use. Um, uh, for for trying to beat that section, if you've got the dagger, is to clone straight away and then try and get yeah. as many hearts kind of as as possible. Yeah. like get the, the one in the in the middle first, right, and then move yeah. to the sides. It's like Rocky Four. Hit the one in the middle, and then and, yeah. then, <laughs> and then go down the outside. Yeah, that's another good thing with a dagger. You can you can walk right to the edge of each kind of uh, point of ohm and face back in, and there'll be a dagger because you can fire three that's on a low yeah. enough point to hit both of the the kind of hearts. Yeah, um, so that's, that's kind of that's, the, uh, that's how I did it in the end because yeah. uh, I I was convinced the firebomb was uh, was better, but it didn't work out for me. <laughs> yeah, it nearly didn't work out so, for me to be honest. But yeah, it's not yeah. it's not ideal. So this game is thirty years old, almost precisely in terms of its release. So things like a game now that could lumber you with a weapon not only uh, when you get to a boss, but actually across lives and. Um, and even continue, such as the sword on that particular boss, that would be considered a complete, uh, a, a broken piece of game design, exactly. effectively. So obviously we, we, take, we take into account its age, but in terms of, you know, encouraging people to play a game like this now, do you think that those sort of elements to this game actually make it just as well as the overall challenge and difficulty, the fact that it can kind of really just, yeah, paint you into a corner of, of no progress does that make it kind of unplayable for to, to a 2018 audience in in some cases i think maybe um i think the the difficulty as you said there maybe more of a maybe more of an overlying issue i mean that's one the, the thing with that is like um you aren't going to have got there by kind of chance do you know what i mean so i mean it's if you get there yeah and you kind of die uh, because you've got the wrong weapon um, it'll be frustrating, but if you're committed yeah. to playing that, like I, I can't see too many people who have never going to have played this before yeah. and are going to pick it up and just bowl straight through the level four and go, oh, I don't know how to do this now. 
Like, yeah. Um, yeah, you weren't getting past level two at that point. Um, and I but, think to be fair to the game, it's the only... Exactly. Let's say game-breaking issue that it is that, has. Is it the only one? I was trying to think of others. That's the only one that springs to mind. Because yeah. th- this is one thing. The, the the weapons there are definitely favorite picks in this game, but other than the sword, maybe uh, none of them are really garbage. No, right. No. As as opposed to the original Ghosts and the, Goblins, in which Ghosts, are, yeah, the, the you know we the the torch or, or the the bomb was always considered like the oh no, I might as well throw away my money yeah. now. <laughs> and here it at, at, at least rips across the floor a little bit nicely. You know, it, yeah. it has its uses. Yeah. Uh, so the discus is another weapon that uh, doesn't get a lot of talk. Actually, I I didn't I didn't ever feel hamstrung when I got this one. Especially, uh, does it have its actual uh, advantages as well as, or or is it just a another, you know, slightly similar but slightly different to the lance? Great it, weapon for the descent again. Yeah, I was going to say because it follows the uh, it follows the, the curvature that yeah hugs right. the ground so follows the curvature. The firing rate on it's really good as well. It's probably mm. the most overlooked weapon in the game for me. Mm. Um, Mad- the magic um, is kind of uh, iffy of it. Yeah, um, but then certain circumstances it's dead useful. Like uh, yeah. uh, on level uh, on level two when you first meet the uh, the red arama, that geezer's is absolutely toast with that magic yeah. because yeah, he has, yeah, yeah. He has sure. to run through it. And he takes kind of a, and he takes kind of hits running through it. Oh, is that the mirror? Um, yes. Yes, it's right. the Aegis reflector. Yeah, Aegis and it's reflector, and it's useful um, <laughs> yeah. in in the bit where you first go um, uh, before you go down to the descent. Obviously, you walk under the little kind of uh, crystal bit where you start climbing up, um, and there's that alien that's shooting, and there's the tower. A shield there is really useful because you can block off the bullets, come in, fire a few, and then come back. And it's a, uh, but it's another one on on a. On Ohm, uh, it's absolutely uh, yeah. On, on on Ohm, the magic's terrible because obviously you cast a shield and it just falls into the water and it won't it, yeah. it, it, it won't think on anything. Right. But as a weapon yeah. overall, mm. I mean, I've seen like uh, I said about the guy who did the speed runs. Um, I've seen he's done weapon only clears with every weapon. Wow. Um, obviously switching the sword out. Um, but okay. I mean that's something you probably couldn't have done on the first one. Um, no. and, and, and it's like, it's interesting when you watch stuff like that because you do see that certain weapons have got real uh, real practical kind of uses. And cer- mm. certain weapons make, and that's another element of it, like the more you play, you'll get to the, the, the chances of you getting somewhere you've not been before with a weapon you've not been before and then being like, hang on a sec, this makes this bit dead easy. And, like yeah. that, and it, you kind of start putting together kind of a... a a kind of strategy in your head. There are those sections, as I mentioned from from the Ghost Show, that there are certain sections that, uh, once you know them, they're really not that much trouble. Like almost surprisingly so. Um, only small, like little sections, um, like the fire bridge in the first game. Um, there's a couple of bits in this game where once once you've practiced them a few times, they they probably won't cause you too many troubles. But but then to make up for that, there are bits that you could just yeah, easily come a cropper over and over and over again consecutively. Um, so, yeah, there are five levels, as we know. Lucifer's Chamber at the end considered a sixth level in itself, although it's just one big screen, uh, to defeat the game. And it would have been weird if they hadn't done this after they did it in the first game. Um, but again, bear in mind that you might have played this in 1988, having never played the original or even now or even on, on your Mega Drive. You might have got to the end just thinking, I've killed the last boss. And then you get some screens of exposition. St. Michael turns up uh, and uh, it tells you that you must complete levels one to five again. You have to go back to level one. You have to get your golden armor and then you have to open another chest 
and you will find uh, the spirit. Who's the spirit in this is like a female spirit lady who has a magical weapon for you endearingly called psycho cannon um, <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah to enter lucifer's chamber you must have it equipped so uh you can easily lose it on your way back through the game and if you collect another weapon how do you get the psycho cannon back uh, it's dead easy to be honest as long as you've it- got the yeah as long as you've got the golden armor generally if you've if you haven't got the a psycho cannon if you open uh, a chest on the okay. second playthrough with the golden armor the weapon will be the psycho cannon okay that's um, not as, it's not, not quite as bad as i no, feel no no you just need to get what's it you can't get it unless you've got the golden armor yes um yep. so like uh, she says something like uh because the, the the guy comes up doesn't he like and says like you need this and then the princess comes up and says oh it's all right you can do it put on your magic armor and open the magic box yes which, which always makes me laugh yeah and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah so any time that you've got the golden armor on on the second playthrough, so you can actually get the psycho cannon from halfway through the first level because mm, yeah, on the very yeah. f- where where you start, if you go left instead of going right and walk to the yeah. edge of the screen, if you jump twice, you can spawn a chest. There's a chest there. Yeah. yeah. In fact, can- I thought you had to get it from the first level. No, uh, you can get it from so- wherever. No, I didn't know that because it says go back to the village and collect this yes. weapon. So I I thought that was. Saying you have to go back to the village, and so yeah, I my playthroughs have been second second go round have been all about the psycho. All the psycho cannon. It, to be fair, yeah. like it's a very good weapon. It yeah. Uh, it as with the uh, the equivalent in the first game, which was the shield come crucifix. Depending on which version you played, uh, it takes out a certain uh, certain projectiles as well, which is obviously a godsend. So yeah, and it's a, the the big thing it's got up from that is it's really powerful. Um, yes. like. It's got kind of because uh, if you look at like the way it kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, the way on Street Fighter Alpha Two the way Dan's fireball was the way that it was yeah. like big at the start and then it just went really small as it went across <laughs> yeah. the screen. Like he uh, still got that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, beautiful, Multi-hits. fantastic. Yeah. But uh, but if you like, if you get to the end of the first level and you fight that shielder, um, if you've got the oh, psycho yeah. cannon, you can absolutely rinse him in about four yep. shots. Uh, yeah. While he's just kind of moving his head, like basically, that's why I stuck with it. I think, yeah, steaming like, while he's warming up. But uh, but yeah, that's it. It is dead. It is dead, Andy. Uh, makes for, makes for, me of the bosses. Yeah, especially yeah for certain for certain armor. kind of uh, yeah for certain sections. Cerberus. It's very good against the Cerberus boss, the second level as well. Mm. Um, it's it's the third level where if you're doing that, if you go with it, if you get the psycho cannon early, what you want to do is try and change it out round about uh, level three because it's, it's hard to do those upward shots because um, the the way the bullet kind of trails off uh, with 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 that um, because there's a lot of enemies that you have to jump to get to um, and if you jump then any of them could swoop in or you get dropped a projectile and it just gets a bit uh, it gets a bit kind of hairy but um, but yeah it's it's there's 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 no boss that isn't made easier um, if you know the patterns. By having that psycho cannon, because you can just really, uh, yeah, you can really put a hurt on him and get him out of there quickly. Mm. So yeah, the, those level names in full, because I think they're rather fun. The Haunted Graveyard, which is also sometimes known as the Executioner's Graveyard and the Floating Island. Level two is Village of Decay and the Town on Fire. Level three, Baron Rankle's Tower. I notice you know all the proper terms for this stuff now, uh, Ben. Uh, and the Horrible Faced Mountains. Indeed. Uh, Tr- truly very, horrible. Very horrible. One at death horrible. Uh, level four, the Crystal Cave and the Icy Descent. Level five is Lucifer's Castle, part one and part two. That's it. Um, yeah, so enemies, we've obviously we've talked about a lot of them coming through. Uh, I love the name of the uh, the initial kind of Reaper 
enemy no longer a zombie but now a skeleton murderer amazing yeah. literal and it also just doesn't walk into you it actually takes a swipe at you yeah it's got a size so that's why it's a murderer side, yeah yeah skeleton murderers amazing it sounds like an 80s metal band <laughs> the way their their little their the little animation where they peek their head around the grass that is so yeah. cool to this yeah. day yeah and you've got some other amusingly named uh, enemies who you'll come to learn to hate like uh, pigman um so the red arama is now the red arama king uh he's got some kind of armor on armor on yeah what am i supposed to do i am still befuddled by actual decent workable strategies against red aramas especially can i go at this one ben yeah go go for it when you see it sitting down the one on the on the hill is actually one of the nastier ones if you don't have magic to tackle the one on the, the mountain of skulls but if you see them sitting down in front of you you jump up and on your descent you fire your weapon so you already get one hit in then you move you move back and you sort of start baiting it into come, coming to swoop down. Uh, once it swoops up, you immediately run under it and start firing upwards. I, uh, I, in, the, in Lucifer's Castle, I didn't have that much trouble with the Red Aramis at all. Hmm. They're easier in Lucifer's Castle because they start on a higher plane. So their mechanic says, even if they swoop down, the bulk of the swoops don't hit you. Um, yeah. That one. Yeah. The, the key with right. beating Red Aramis, and you can do that now you've got magic, is never, never engage them in a fair fight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no point. There's no point. Yeah. There's so many magics that absolutely rinse them. Uh, yeah. And so there's no way, there's, there's no point in kind of doing it like that. Um, if you don't have magic, it's a little bit trickier. You know? Exactly. It still, is. still there's, there are ways to deal with them. Exactly. Uh, the first one on the, the pile of skulls, I just run past actually, because I'm uh, playing with unlimited credits. Uh, but I still want to reach the next checkpoint section, so I, yeah. instead of trying to to of, of getting killed by him, I just want to make sure I reached into the next checkpoint. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a the thing is there's a lot of it's tough on that that first part of level two because there's a lot of those um uh those bouncing kind of turtle heads, and the thing with those is that th- it can give you a pattern that will kill you. Like you can yeah. you can get a pattern where two come at exactly the same time, one high and one low. And you die, yeah. you have to get hit at that point. There's no, there's no way around that. Um, That's horrible. Yeah. Um, but if you can get, there's quite a lot of chests to spawn on that first bit. If you can get to that armor with any kind of magic, you'll rinse him nine times out of ten. But if you haven't, then you're right. You do need some kind of a, you do need some kind of strategy to try and uh, to try and sort it out. Other entertaining enemy names. Uh, there's a little. Uh, always something I loved about vintage uh, uh, Japanese, particularly arcade machines from the era, which was that you get a kind of cast list at the end uh, rather than credits. Um, you get <laughs> the names of the enemies that you've been killing throughout Green Monster Mark II. Um, was Green Monster Mark One in Ghosts or was it just that they scrapped Green Monster Mark yeah, I? The Green Monster, are those, those the things that lo- drop the rocks? Uh, they are... Oh, those are the flying goblins. Probably. They are the, uh, they are the um, Venus flytrap. Um, ah, enemies. okay. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That big spot. Yeah, the Mark One would be the one on there uh, on Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah, yeah. Green Monster yeah. Mark Two, phenomenal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> got to go faster uh, stripes or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Noop Noop, as you mentioned, those are the little stalactites, uh, stalagmites. Because ah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I, the evil hand is the is the, is the hand with the, the funny faces of the fingertips. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all good fun. Uh, so we must talk bosses and strategies. Uh, we've mentioned the shielder. Um, it's I would again say that it's entirely possible because of the nature of the shielder that it's in, 
its imposing nature, the size of it, the fact that it marks, marches across the screen, the fact that it can shoot fireballs in sort of different angles and trajectories. Um, it's possible for anyone to, even if they've got to the end of level one in Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, to get, fall get short of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't take tons and tons of hits, but even yeah, if, you've, if you've still only got the lance or whatever at this stage, it takes enough hits for it to have a chance to smash you with its own head exactly. or, or set you on fire. Um, yeah. The real problem, I think this is designed to teach you well, as if you didn't know already by this point that your jumps are uncorrectable. <laughs> it's it's entirely possible because of the fireballs that you start panic jumping here and then you're in a oh, bad yeah. spot. Exactly. And the the thing with the shielder, the tricky thing is, especially if you face him for uh, the first time, is that you can't always keep hitting him because he moves his head up and down. So yeah, sometimes it it's pre- works pretty good to actually walk close to him and start firing. There's up a strap fire involving. Yeah. He takes uh, a couple of weird random hits to his knee. He does you... indeed. Yeah. If you watch yeah. that clear in mind, that's exactly yes. what I do. You just yeah. Like, yeah. you smash him in the knee a few times while he's warming up, <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, I don't know if that's then... a bug or what. Yeah, it, it only works with certain weapons as well, uh, for some random reason. But it works with Lance. You've got to get just inside uh, to a certain kind of range, but you can get three hits in um, before he actually before he actually starts. And I think he only takes eight, eight hits anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, considerably fewer with Psycho Cannon, although, well, it's still the same number of hits, but the, the weapon actually registers more hits. Uh, Cerberus is quite a traditional video game boss in some ways. Um, swoops from one side of, you know, a fiery kind of uh you know wolf kind of creature uh shoots from one side of the screen to the other goes up in the air jumps up and down imposingly drops fireballs on your head um it's quite traditional in in some ways even at, even at this stage in gaming i would have said but again the difference is the amount the pace at which it moves and the amount of stuff it throws at you and drops yeah. on you and um yeah the upward fire in dead handy there and yes. uh, the other thing with that is is uh once you know the pattern um you can line yourself up with bits of the terrain so you'll know that it'll walk right up to you and then walk back, uh, like thus maximizing the number of right. hits you can get. You can get it, it almost you can get it on two loops. Like um so mm. like jump over once, jump over again, and then it's dead basically if you know where it yeah. stops. You want to minimize the amount of time you spend with it alive. <laughs> exactly. It almost never bounces straight onto you. If you stay at a certain distance in the middle, it will always uh basically fly over you yeah. yes but you're mm. you're saying firing upwards is that handy i was ducking all the time yeah no when it does the, when it does the large jump so like it'll do the jump where it comes forward on your level where if you yeah if you duck um you'll it'll go over your head but obviously mm. it does the large kind of rain rainbow arcing jump over the top where it drops the fire uh, you can get yeah, yeah. you can get kind of three or four hits independent on weapon on that usually i don't want to mess with uh trying to stay in between falling fire and i i usually walk all the way to the other end to just minimize not risk. having to deal with, uh, yeah. with the fire at all i can see why dropping the good thing with that is though, the, the fire never drops at an angle it'll always drop straight so providing you've taken off the one directly above you you can't get it this is exactly the sort of game design that influenced the likes of cuphead i suppose more recently um there's a, perhaps a bit more uh a, predictability to the patterns in Cuphead you, you'd know this Mikhail but it's this it's similar conceptually in that it is a an enemy that has a pattern of or a set of of movements and it will execute them very fast and chuck a lot of stuff at you and yeah it's that kind of that kind of vibe yeah. Um, but this is just, yeah, we're level two boss here. Um, <laughs> Gasto um, is uh, a very familiar looking, actually reminds me of, uh, what's the one in Kirby called? The uh, 
yeah Krakow, I Krak- think. yeah yeah and i was i was going to say the exact same thing yeah <laughs> i think this came first yeah kirby didn't arrive till the 90s did he so yeah exactly. um, this was first yeah uh so this is a big cloud with an eyeball uh, that occasionally goes into storm mode where it is invulnerable uh i think you yeah. made you made out ben that this is actually one of the this can be a bit of a, a tough spot in the game for a good player yeah, um, because he's got two or three different patterns. Um, one really easy pattern, if he's too far to the right, what he'll do is he'll get stuck on the screen, and instead of going in like a circle, he'll hit the right-hand side of the screen and then just go straight up, um, and you can absolutely rinse him then. Um, but yeah. all you've got to do, really, is to make sure that you're nowhere near him when he does the Because inv- the inv- a lot of time with the invincible phase, he won't move when he's doing it. Mm. Um, so he'll he'll fly around you maybe twice, He'll go like across from you, go invincible. And then after that invincible phase finishes, wherever you are, he'll move to where you are. So when he's invincible, if you time a jump right, he'll always go above you. Um, and then you can kind of run under and just uh, and, and kind of go from there. But it is kind of, I've had to do it a few times where I've had to jump off the platform to the left and then jump back on as he's gone on like a really wide, uh, mm. on a really wide, really wide loop. But simple weapons work the best on this. If you're trying to take him out with like the firebomb, he's an absolute nightmare, as you might imagine, or the axe or the sword. Jesus. But um, yeah. but yeah, Lance and uh, yeah, Lance uh, Discus and yeah, Lance Discus and Daggers are the uh, are the ones. I didn't have much problem with uh, with him and, uh, on any run, uh, Gusto. Even when you have to face three of them, I think firing up and down is really yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, really paramount here and really uh, handy. He has a a, a, a very very nasty second attack actually, where he sort of seems to slim down and then move yeah. very fast. Uh, where you also yeah, you can't really. I don't think you can really hit him at that point Slinks either. Slinks off under you at times. Yeah, as well. yeah, exactly. Mm. That's that's a bit treacherous. But uh, I usually could uh, just by keep on. I could keep on hitting him, and I, before he could really start becoming a problem, I had him. We should say just for a laugh as well. Of course, there is a mini boss rush <laughs> and run up yeah. to uh, to to the final bosses. Um, we, I think we've talked about uh, Ohm, but uh, the the boss of Loop One is Beelzebub, a big fly who turns into a swarm of flies. Uh, pretty grotesque. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, Lord I think of the I flies. Find, I, I find, yeah. I find flies, because I'm not an arachnophobe, I find flies ickier than spiders, yeah. personally. Because um, we know they're, they're dirty, and we've seen the fly. Um, so, <laughs> uh, strats for Beelzebub, any, uh, any do's and don'ts? It all depends on, uh, like all these clues do, uh, weapon selection, really. Um, mm. the, the lightning magic can kill him with one shot if you time it right, nice. which is ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, if you, if you, you, basically you have to get kind of underneath him and you can kind of do it. Um, the way that if you're killing him, if you're taking him with the psycho cannon, the, the quickest way to do it is to be prepared to kind of lose your armor. So, so, um, if you jump in while attacking and then he'll move forward, you'll take a hit. And then while you're invincible, you can jump and just spam a load of psycho cannons. And because the power, you can destroy him before you lose your invincibility and okay. kill him like, before he does any kind of uh, any of his kind of like flying around the screen type of, it's funny, actually, type we've, of affairs. We've barely talked about iframes or collision detection, but actually those are two, you know, sort of kind of fundamental uh, things that enter into intelligent modern video game analysis and conversation. Um, the collision detection is it's 
it doesn't feel inconsistent in this game, but it does feel like obviously you know Arthur has a hitbox and whatever, but it does sometimes feel like it was his whole sprite is the hitbox. But then occasionally yeah. you'll just get away with a little something, um, just a little overlap or whatever. So I, I don't sometimes know. Sometimes yeah. you you kill enemies at point blank where you swear like they yes. would have hit you. Yeah, I think he's maybe he's. It feels to me like if you jump onto something, the hitbox is right at the limit of the sprite. Whereas if something's directly in front or behind of you, you can overlap them slightly. But it does always feel like if I accidentally, you know, if, if you overcommit, commit to a poor jump and land on a fourth, you know, something that's flying towards you, it doesn't feel like there's there's um, any uh, any leeway on the soles of his feet, basically. I don't know if that's true or just my poor interpretation of it. Yeah, I think I don't know. It's it's just it's consistently unforgiving. I think yeah, the, uh, it's probably the best sure. way of describing the the collision detection kind of. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean. Every now and then, but then it goes kind of the other way as well. Every now and then, I'd get away with something that I'd think to myself, I could have sworn I should have died there. Yeah, and then yeah. every now and then I'll be like, "There's no way I should have died there." <laughs> like, there's uh, yeah. every now and again, it, it's very rare that that happens. Normally, kind of you're a, you kind of spawn with it if you know if you know where you need to be then. 99.9% of the time. I don't, I'm sure somebody's broken into the code after all this time. And I mean, some there there is a there is a fan game, for instance. And wouldn't it be amazing if it turns out the hitbox actually varies in size? Um, we were talking recently about uh, a much more recent Capcom game, uh, Resident Evil 4, how one of the ways in which that game did uh, use its... Um, or one of the ways in which its adaptable on-the-fly difficulty adjustment manifested was different sized hitboxes for the enemies wow. so if you're if you're being rubbish if you're not if you're if you're if your accuracy is too low the hitboxes on the enemies gets bigger which is just genius nobody you know people didn't really know about this though it it was out there but it, it's become more commonly known Wouldn't it's it mad the amazing? number of games that did that like i said you probably saw like a couple of weeks ago i did a clear of uh, the teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade machine right if you clear a level on that without dying, it puts the difficulty up. Um, yes. To the point yeah. where if you clear several levels in the game, I think like one of the runs I had, it was really weird. I died really early and I thought, oh, I might as well just carry on playing. And I got mm. to like level four, like on one yeah. life, which is a massive stretch. And I got to uh, one of the bosses and there was three pizzas because it thought I was playing three players because once it hits a ceiling of difficulty, the only thing it can do is put it to multiplayer difficulty. So like I got to I got to like uh, I got to the 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 bus level four just before you go into the technodrome and there was like three pizzas I was like wow this yeah. is so random I think many 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 of the Japanese you know classics did have a certain amount of uh, invisible uh, yeah uh, adjustment going on behind the scenes and and I think we've talked about this before but certain Western developers kind of picked up on the idea or they they played games and they'd observed it in action so they started to incorporate it so we had games like Swiv and Gods which made a kind of advertising box feature out of adaptable difficulty. Personally, I don't actually think that the game we're talking about in this podcast does have it, but it would be amazing if it turned out that if yeah. you're playing poorly the 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 hitbox is reduced and yeah, if you're just, playing well just it's, gives it's you a break bigger. yeah that would be that would be extraordinary but uh, but i guess i guess yeah. that's probably not the case so second loop psycho cannon in hand you get the big final boss room now i've always thought lucifer in this game looks a little bit goofy if you don't mind me saying yeah he's he's kind of funny um sitting there waving waving his feet up and down lasers out of his fingers um but obviously if you've got there legitimately and you're clinging on to the idea of completing this game 
for reals. Um, it must be quite a moment to get into that extra, that second room, knowing that you are a relatively small amount of time because he doesn't actually, you, it, it's not lo- It's not a long fight if, if it goes no. well, is it? Um, it's all about standing in exactly the right place, maybe timing one or two jumps and firing upwards. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's Any funny you say, it you say, not really, to be honest with you. Like, there's a point where if you think like, where his head is. If you imagine that as being like the face of a clock, right? So if he's at 12 o'clock and you're at six o'clock, you mm. want to stand at about seven-ish because what happens then is the lasers that come straight down miss you and the yeah. ones that come from the left-hand side will go over your head. All you have yeah. to worry about is the ones from the right-hand side. Mm. But if you jump, if you as you run in, uh, if you do a jump straight away, you lift his, uh, lift his right knee up, you can actually get up onto his right knee um, yeah. and jump and get him kind of quite a lot of times. You can get him down in like, 10 15 seconds with the right uh, with the right set of circumstances um but the problem is like the window for you to get a good clear is that those first 10 15 20 seconds like mm-hmm. the the chances of you dying from 20 to 40 seconds go up at a, a ridiculous rate because obviously then what happens is that he starts firing lasers through the floor so you can die by falling through the floor um if you get under one of his feet you can get one shot like that mm. um so does that happen yeah it's not ideal um i've never had it happen on a clear i was recording yeah. but uh but i have had it happen but yeah that's the that's the thing with if him if you've got um, uh if you've got armor which uh you will want you'll you'll have to yeah you'll have you to have can... at least the silver armor yeah, you can do it, can't you? I mean, you can you can just run into the almost near the middle, uh, wait for him to fire one lot of laser, and then head into the middle and psycho cannon the heck out of the button, and pretty much finish him off in one. Yeah, burst. one or two, one or two. Sat. The problem is like um, if you hit him two, if you hit him twice with a psycho cannon, he'll get a small invincibility frame. So like um, <laughs> you can't. I know, <laughs> yeah. right? So you can't. Uh, you can't just run in and absolutely rinse him like that. Right. But if you time it right, if you time your next jump right when you get up, you can basically get into the habit of every time you jump up, you can get two. Because if you jump up and then jump straight back up, he's still invincible. But if you jump up, do two, wait for like half a second and then jump again, he's vulnerable again. So you mm. can kind of just, do you know what I mean? Jump up maybe two sure or three about times. I'm not sure specific variants depending on ROMs for, for this stuff. Because I know that in the US ROM, apparently... Uh, some of the bosses take fewer hits than they do on the the Japanese and even yeah, I think on the so. on the Japanese ones that that's the common thing with most of the bosses. I think they just take longer to kill. Scary stuff though, and uh, yeah, one any any gamer who has got this on their their genuine list of achievements, uh, which I yeah I can't really claim to. Um, it's something to be proud of, I think. It's that kind of sprite size I like as well. Kind of reminds me yeah. of him. Uh, what's that level? It's like a level on Bionic Commando where there's a boss like that. Yeah, where it's the, like the, a a yeah. statue in many parts and you have to navigate around it yeah yeah obviously yeah it's done obviously it's done with multiple sprites almost uh also sorry i should say reminds me of the final screen in bruce lee the 1984 yeah uh data soft game which uh famously has the easiest end boss of all time because you just hold right and you win it's great um <laughs> we've got uh, as i say only a couple of bits of correspondence this is from simon sloth from the forum and uh this was a post from originally a day or two ago and then there's an update uh, and I think this is interesting stuff and, and may be reflective of anyone else who, uh, well, not anyone else, but 
certain people who attempt to play this game, probably myself included in some ways. Uh, Simon Sloth says, I have been desperate to complete this game as some sort of fitting sequel to my previous comments regarding ghosts and goblins. I regretfully admit defeat with my progress being even more pitiful than the previous game. I've just finished Zelda 2 and felt pretty good about myself as it is notoriously challenging. This game is in another league of difficulty. I couldn't even make it past the first stage. I decided to instead revel in one credit Ben's superior skills. And when watching, I realised that you can throw upwards. I'm no longer feeling, <laughs> just feeling like I'm rubbish at the game, but I'm also feeling extremely stupid. <laughs> I don't think I'm cut out for this series. Update. After a sleepless night of tears, vomit and having to juggle two sick kids and a poorly spouse, I've finished it. By that, I mean the first level. It's strange because I had that one last credit vibe when I turned it on and that this was going to be the one. I think the bleary eyed delirium of sleep deprivation may have actually been in my favour. I feel like I've conquered one of life's biggest hurdles and my sense of accomplishment is through the roof. That's me done, though. I know I'm essentially admitting defeat, but to me, this is victory. A small one, but a victory nonetheless. I'll leave the actual completing to the experts and I take my hat off to their superior prowess. This game does not suffer fools, and this morning I can say I'm a fraction less foolish. <laughs> well done, man. Level one. Just uh, just the first loop, the rest of the first loop, and all of the second loop to go. It'll be fine. When when games are this viciously difficult, take the victories where you exactly. can. Exactly. Yeah. No, I feel very happy every time I yeah just have a nice run through level one and, and do it without anything going wrong. Um I'm pretty much guaranteed that things start to go wrong at the uh, the bridges uh, on level two because I've still never quite got exactly the positions of all those trapdoors down. It in my becomes head. tough to memorize, right? Yeah. Like, so I mean, there's no warning it, on those. There's no animation to go, oh, you're on a bit of creaky floor. It's just like, vroom, straight through. Yeah. No, um, it's, it's tough to memorize. The only thing now, I used to have so much trouble with them. The only thing now is that... Um, I know which one are the ones that are actually lethal. <laughs> I can avoid those. You know? Like yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you now. But if you put it on in front of me, I'd know what to run, where to run, and where to jump. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you like got it it's down, just... memorized muscle memory and brain yeah. Memory. I probably, I don't even know. Like I remember that section. I remember just running that section to memorize the bridges. Probably, yeah. I don't know, maybe close to a thousand times. Maybe uh, a. For for about two three hours anyhow, just doing that, and then when I came back to so the next day, I could remember it. Like, yeah. So that's all that's you dedication. Do. That's all you got to do. So this being a late '80s game, we were at the sort of generational transition over, particularly in Europe, where the home computers were more popular than uh, the consoles. Uh, there was no NES version of this game. Uh, I think it was considered a port too far. Um, it's kind of surprising that they didn't attempt it. I, I suppose. But it was attempted. Uh, US Gold picked up the license, as they often did, uh, for coin-ops, Capcom coin-ops especially. Uh, they released Amstrad and Spectrum versions with Z80 code by Mike Follin, with the soundtracks by Tim and Jeff Follin, both very different. Neither game could handle uh, sound and music at the same time. Um, I don't recommend seeking these out. They They really don't look very good at all it's one of those weird things where they actually look i mean they definitely look like they were rushed and under duress but they look like they were worse than a lot of dedicated 8-bit games just by dint of yeah. having been a conversion from a more powerful coin-op um 
C64 version, I think, was uh, slightly more well regarded and again has its own uh, SID chip soundtrack, which is different again and is worth checking out on its own. But if you're going to play a version of Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, I would skip all 8 bit versions. The Amiga and ST versions, also not very well regarded, but certainly much more recognizable. Um, really small play area, massive, ugly status panel at the bottom of the screen in both cases. The ST version apparently plays a bit nicer than the Amiga version um, and has a much more traditional chiptune soundtrack, whereas the Amiga version has that astonishing um, sort of, yeah, jazz prog rock synth soundtrack uh, by Tim and Jeff Follin. But again, uh, if you wanted to play Ghouls and Ghosts, that wouldn't be the way to do it, in my opinion. Um, it was an era of very variable ports. And yeah, I don't think these really cut the mustard in terms of gameplay. The Mega Drive version did though. It was coded by a fella by the name of Yuji Naka, who went on to code Sonic the Hedgehog. He knew his way around the Mega Drive already. Um, the music was translated by Izuho Namata, uh, known at the time by her uh, maiden name of Izuho Takeuchi. Uh, that's worth hearing in itself, just because it's. Um, I, I would say actually the coin ops sound chip actually sounds quite Mega Drivey anyway. The the music on the original, uh, yeah, it's a, arcade machine. That's a similar uh, Yamaha FM synth, uh, similar kind of type of thing. Yeah, but the the yeah. Mega Drive version is noticeably a an adapted soundtrack and has its own uh, sort of sound and melodies worth worth uh, worth a tuning into as well uh the ending because yeah. <laughs> as if the original we, we joked of course about the uh the notoriously poor spelling in the english translation of ghosts and goblins um they sort of retained that it's it's almost it's almost like they were doing it on purpose at this point <laughs> uh on top of the mazic power arthur obtained the psycho cannon from saint michael then after a dreadful battle he finally defeated lucifer that's what the original coin-op said. Uh, the Mega Drive translated sounds, it. Sounds uh, written by a drunk. Exactly. And the, the Mega Drive version um, got it all wrong in different ways. Amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, astonishing stuff. Uh, yes, the ending was poorly translated into English. Uh, they, they avoided the controversial uh, subject matter of basically the devil being Lucifer. So they renamed him Loki out of Norse mythology. Uh, and Saint Michael was renamed Valkyr. Uh, and as I said earlier, that version you could play on Wii Virtual Console. Is that switched off yet? I'm still not even sure. Can you still download um, games the on Wii the Wii Virtual Console? Yeah, no, it's probably at this point you can still download games you've already downloaded before, but that's going to. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's the, the only thing you can do, and that's going to yeah. stop very soon as well. And it was the PAL version in PAL territory, so it was slow and bordered as well. Having played both. Mm. The Amiga and the Mega Drive version. I can comfortably say that anyone should be trying to play the Mega Drive version. Oh. The Amiga version is definitely very rough. It is one of those yeah, ones that is miles away from what the arcade yeah, is. Yeah, it was very frustrating at the time because, you know, I, I had both the ultimately the Amiga and the Mega Drive and these arcade ports were just so much more elegantly handled by Sega's in-house teams uh, yeah. than they were by... See teams like Software Creations for US Gold, and it was partly time and resource, but it was also partly that they just didn't put the effort in. They, they, you know, the, the Amiga was capable of doing a much better incarnation of Ghouls and Ghosts than the one it got, without doubt. Uh, oh, for it, sure. It just, it just wasn't a, a particularly good port. Uh, yeah, cut. I mean, the graphics are kind of washed out. The and smaller. Everything's got less animation. 
Um, but yeah, there's less character to everything oh, that you see. Absolutely, and there's, yeah. there's there's no care. Like the Mega Drive version is still very visually appealing. Oh, definitely, to me. yeah, and it feels um, right as whereas well. Whereas the Amiga version is ropey. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, I would say the Mega Drive version is uh, kind of above adequate, but I'd still just play the arcade version at this point there, because there, it's just it just yeah. tips it a little bit more over the you know over to being damn impressive. There are more options which we'll talk about. But Nupraptor from the forum wanted to talk about the Mega Drive version. Nupraptor says, I had the Mega Drive version back in the day and played through it multiple times. I had made previous attempts at Ghosts and Goblins and couldn't get past the first level, but this was a lot more manageable and accessible. This was still in the early days of the Mega Drive and the visuals were hugely impressive compared to the 8-bit systems. Those bold, colourful cartoon sprites are still very appealing to me even today. The first level shielder boss was the real poster boy for the game. His image would frequently crop up on promotional material, and you can see why. A huge armoured bright green ogre that was the height of the screen, and he detached his own head to attack you with fireballs. What a treat! How epic it felt to fight such a monster. The epic feel was enhanced by the rousing music. The first level theme in particular is an all-time classic, and by the map at the start of each level that showed you a preview of the trials and terrain yet to come. There was a sense of fun about proceedings, with Arthur rocking around in his boxes after taking hits and being turned into a duck or an old man if you had the misfortune of finding a wizard in one of the chests. This would usually spell doom, but you could always try to stave off death by flapping or shuffling around in your transformed state to avoid the relentless enemies. There was no aftertouch on the jump, so once you jumped you were committed. This meant that you would have agonising fractions of seconds where you realised you had made a mistake, but could only watch helplessly as Arthur hurtled into a fiery pit, an amorphous cloud monster, or a stream of vomit from an ogre. Kudos to the ogre for fighting the forces of good despite his bad case of gastroenteritis. The selection of weapons added variety, although I feel the connoisseur's choice was the rapid-fire daggers. Some of the others were definitely lower tier or actively detrimental. On a serious run, you wanted to avoid the Golden Sword, for instance, which was high damage but only had a close range attack. If you accidentally got it, there would then be a fight for survival until the next decent weapon drop. Each of the weapons in turn could unleash a magical attack if you managed to pick up a suit of the magical armour. This armour really made you feel like you were powered up with its golden sheen and flowing cape. You could then summon a doppelganger, a shield or various pyrotechnics depending on which weapon you had. For the serious player, the magical attacks served relatively little practical benefit and you were better off focusing on basic attacks and dodging enemies, but it was fun to have the option. The crowning glory of the magical attacks was the lightning strike you could summon if you had the magic armour and the lance. It was visually stunning when Arthur pumps his fist to the sky, calling down lightning that shoots out to the sides and leaving him temporarily silhouetted in black from the sudden flash. Who's the daddy? Notoriously, of course, you have to play through the game at least twice to complete it. I say at least because there were a few occasions when I got to the end of my second run, but without the amusingly named Psycho Cannon weapon that you needed to take on the final boss. This leads you to being sent back to the start again. When you finally did reach the end with Psycho Cannon in hand, you are rewarded by a crowning boss fight against the demonic Loki. This grinning red devil was larger than the screen and could shoot lasers from his hands. That's the kind of thing I expect from a final boss. If you could dodge through his legs, past his lasers and strike at his head, then you had done it. You had beaten the game. You then had the treat of watching the end credits with the hastily tacked on and badly translated explanation of the game's plot. You were Knight Arthur, warrior the strongest and wearer of boxer shorts. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thanks, Nup Raptor. 
As is was sometimes the case, uh, Sega took a slightly different approach with their 8-bit conversion, which actually came after their 16-bit conversion. Master System version 1990 introduced a power-up system, allowing the player to enter secret shops and upgrade their armor, including helmets, uh, giving new uh, access to new weapons and magic spells, chest armor, uh, allowing you to sustain more damage, and boots, which increased your speed. This sounds cool. Ben, you played it. Uh, I did, yeah. I did it on uh, I did it on episode fifty eight of the channel. I really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. Um, and I liked it, it. It borrowed the fact that you needed to know where all the chests were from the from um, the arcade version in order to maximize your chance of kind of survival. It worked on a similar right. thing that every third chest you got to was a door, like it. So the chests would only contain wizards and doors, basically. So you'd get two wizards and then a door, and then if you go through, uh, like you say, a door, you get to pick one kind of weapon power up at a time uh, and these all went through kind of different levels um so you had like a, you couldn't for example uh you don't pick you wouldn't pick up weapons in chests you'd start with a, a lance and then it'd give you the option to upgrade it and mm. then you'd go on from there um so it became about which way you powered yourself up would would kind of guide your kind of passage through the game really would you go for two boot power-ups so a lot of stuff was harder to kill you or would you go which i always used to do get a helmet power up first so you get the next level of magic uh, and then get some armor and kind of go on like that um and it's all the levels from obviously the graphical limitations are there and the sound limitations are there but all the mm -hmm. levels from the arcade are there and the, the port's actually really really good um it's a lot yeah. of fun um Feels i really right. i really enjoyed it the other thing i'd say is though that the, the kind of one thing that i wouldn't say it's kind of the one thing that makes it kind of easier i'd say than any others is the the way the magic system works is that whenever you get a new helmet power up you can pick a different magic but you retain all of them so like you have like five different magics so if you imagine the magics that you get in the the arcade game they all come with different levels of light helmet power up the second helmet power up you get you get the shield magic um which is the most overpowered thing in the entire game it's ridiculous it gives you about 10 seconds of invulnerability and it only costs mm. and it only costs two magic points to cast Whoa. i know could just could just beast to the game like that. that's exactly what i did um so <laughs> yeah it's, it's <laughs> it is completely kind of uh it is completely kind of uh, kind of that magic's pretty broken uh, but it's fun to kind of it is it is fun to Thoughty. it is yeah very much so it's fun to play through and it's it's kind of i said this a couple of times with different kind of um this week I did a Mickey Mouse Castle Illusion and I spoke to a few people about it. And mm. like, if you haven't got that power that you've got on a 16-bit machine when you do an 8-bit conversion, you have to make the game kind of different and charming in its own way and kind of see if you mm. can introduce kind of elements. You can't just make it a rubbish version of something you've already done because who's going to buy that, right? Mm -hmm. So like that's the, that's the point. And for me, this is one of the best examples of that um, cool. because it takes what you've got and it's almost got a kind of Wonder Boy and Monster Land feel to it. Sounds huh. great. Uh, it's that good. Treat for collectors of that system or uh, or ROM hoarders. Uh, there was a Super Graphics port, uh, which was, I think, if I'm right, the NEC successor to the PC Engine, but a 16-bit chip in inside it. But it only it did really badly. It only had five games released for it. Uh, this was in 1990 as well, and it's it's a near perfect port, but uh, but not quite perfect. Uh, there is a perfect port. There is one perfect non-emulated port of Ghouls and Ghosts. It's on the Sharp X68000. Uh, occasionally comes up on these shows that we do. Uh, it was released in Japan 
as a system. This was uh, quite yeah, this was six years after the Coinop came out, but it is uh, I haven't played it, but I've watched it running, and it is widely known as a basically a one to one conversion of the original arcade game. Uh, there were emulations for Saturn and PS1 on that Capcom generation Chronicles of Arthur set uh, released separately in Japan and released as a compilation in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, gives you access to dip switches, at least uh, the Capcom Classics Collection Volume 1 uh, is known for having slightly. This is a common emulation complaint is the emulation is visually slightly dark. Obviously, you can mitigate mm. against this a certain amount. Um, same on the PSP as well. Uh, and there was a yeah. Again, Funny thing is though, mm. when you get adjusted to it, it doesn't look bad. No, <laughs> sure, darker. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. It's, it's... As long as your uh, your screen has some good uh, contrast and everything. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm sure yeah. it's it's not a deal breaker. Um, yeah. And there was a game yeah. that was at least in the works. I think possibly they only got the first level done based on what I found on on YouTube. But there was a game called Ghouls and Ghosts Remix, a fan project by Valarsoft in 2006. Uh, an unofficial remake, but mashes up elements of all three of the original Makaimura trilogy into one kind of game. Um, who knows if it would have turned out to be any good. I don't know if they lost interest or Capcom issued a cease and desist, but either way, just a curio. Uh, the most recent release of this game, Ghouls and Ghosts, was just last year on, of course, iOS and Android 2017. Uh, I haven't played it. It's uh, it's emulation, as you'd expect. It has, as you'd also expect, on-screen controls. Ugh. Fantastic. Just what you need for this game. Yeah. Uh, so your thumbs are in the way. Um, I don't know if it supports controllers. Do I mean, do generally games on the App Store and Google Play support controllers if you have them? Bluetooth? I don't know, because I don't really do mobile Same. gaming much. Anymore. I can't say I've ever tried it. Yeah. Um, As if the game wasn't already brutally hard enough. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't play it without the tactile feedback of a proper controller, I don't think. Um, but, well, you could, you know, it's, it was like, it's like two quid or something. So it's, you know, if you just want to look at it and play the first level, it's there. The App Store version, weirdly, is uh, less well regarded than the Google Play version. I'm not sure if that's just to do with numbers or whether the emulation is better on Android devices, but. 2.5 out of 5 on the App Store and 3.9 out of 5 on Google Play. So make of that what you will. Uh, so some three-word reviews. Follow us on, that's it, Twitter, at Kane and Rince. Uh, ben, can you start us off? They were our gods. Absolutely flaming ridiculous. Mr. Flabio, go round again. Cosimod says, committing to jumps. Bearfish by Makai Moore. <laughs> Neil Harmon, wet my ass. The gaffer, Amiga Fallen Brilliance. Muscalilli says, in pants, pants. Jmer01, proper platform action. Proper platform action. Well, yeah, we had that sort of, I mean, yes, it's just semantics. We did have that sort of discussion whether this is a run and gun game or a, or a platformer, or is it a, in the old ancient parlance of languages long forgotten, a levels and ladders game. Anyway. Ghouls or as the Germans would say, a jump and run. Jump and run. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's got some of that in, but it's also got shooting and attacking. <laughs> Whatever. It's a video <laughs> game. It's a proper video game. Definitely. Um, right. Let's summarize our feelings on ghouls and ghosts. I suppose a certain amount of nostalgia comes into play, um, but also, well, maybe less so for Ben, who's still hammering this game, um, but also uh, think about how much of a recommendation for our contemporary but uh, but well-informed 
Kane um, and Vince podcast audience. Carl? I think nostalgia definitely comes into it. This was such an iconic part of me growing up in the arcades. Whenever I think of the arcades, it's always one of the games I think of, um, and that will forever be the case. And that's such an important part in my youth and the development into me actually loving video games. So for that, like the, the game is kind of absolutely top tier. But in terms of actually playing it now, I do recommend it. It's a very good game. It's brutally difficult. It's not necessarily the most uh, friendly and inviting game. And the first level is kind of one of those classic levels. And it's probably worth playing it just to play that alone, um, as crazy as that sounds. And I've mentioned it on several wrap-ups in the past that if we can link a game as a direct impression on more modern titles that are cult classics, then I would always recommend going back and seeing kind of the sources and where that influence has spread. And I definitely, I mean, undoubtedly, Ghouls and Ghosts has had a huge impact on the games of that genre since it's released 30 years ago. It's not often I would say that a game that's 30 years old is still playable. You know, there's many that aren't. I mean, of course, there's, there's several classics that are, which is probably why they're still technically regarded as classics. But Ghouls and Ghosts definitely has a little bit something different about it. Um, I mentioned how it always puts you kind of off your step. It takes me out of my rhythm and it makes me feel really uncomfortable as I play it for that reason because my fight isn't necessarily with a game that's unresponsive because it's entirely responsive to the way that it was intended to be. It's a game that almost tricks me and makes me want to do stuff that will ultimately result in my death. Um, jumping around like a lunatic being one of them um, and not necessarily remaining calm when I need to be. And I, th I think that that is really, really, really clever games design. Um, and 30 years on, there's still not that many games that make me feel that level of being uncomfortable because of the challenge that the game's put forward. So for that reason, I would still recommend this game. Yeah, uh, I do have uh, a lot of love for the... The, the entity that is ghouls and ghosts um but i you know i cannot deny that for me and for lots of players it, it is just simply more pain than it's worth like <laughs> or maybe not more than it's worth but m more than i'm willing to spend a huge amount of my limited gaming time banging my head up against and playing the same little sections over and over again as good as they are as great as they look um I think it is a, a real barrier. These are games that were designed to troll you, to to kill you, to make it life difficult for you. Whereas games designers has, has come to a point where games want you to beat them by and large, even the games that the modern games that are known as tough games. And I think it makes perfect sense that the games that are now being produced and released that do hark back in ways to games from a certain time we're seeing uh, you know we're seeing an enormous amount of um games that are throwback to super metroid and castlevania symphony of the night but we're not seeing so many that hark back to the earlier castlevanias and uh, things like that we have had some we've had uh, like ninja gaiden update uh the mish is it the mish mission the messenger messenger that's it thank you and um and interestingly 
um, and I, and I hope that it will be go some way towards the just the the Ghouls and Ghosts legacy not being forgotten. Obviously, you know he's in Marvel versus Capcom and and whatever else. But Battle Princess Madeline is a game that's coming out on the 20th of December in a month or uh, just over on all formats um, as we record this uh, by Causal Bit Games. And that does look like it's got maybe uh, a certain amount of, of ghouls uh, influence in it. And I think uh, the, the the guy behind it, who uh, I believe is making it largely for his daughter, which is very sweet. Um, I think there's an interview where he, he specifically talks about how it was a playthrough of it was either Ghosts and Goblins or Ghouls and Ghosts that inspired him to make Battle Princess Madeline. So I'm just pleased in that res- in that respect that um, the game isn't going to die. So um, I think people listening to this will know whether they have the stomach for a game like this or whether they might just be better off watching Ben play it on YouTube um, and listening to the soundtrack because uh, actually, you know, really that's all a lot of us have time for today. Those who aren't willing to dedicate the amount of time and energy and emotion uh, to completing these games that Ben has. So, yeah, your mileage may vary, but um, but yeah, I you know, it's... I love I love the art I love the uh, I love the sound and uh, and I can laugh when I die now but I just I can't I can't do it <laughs> I can't beat the game not really not properly and that hurts uh, Mikhail yeah I recommend it or I uh, lobbied for Ghosts and Goblins and Ghouls and Ghosts to be included in this year's lineup and after my sour experiences with Ghosts and Goblins trying to actually <laughs> even just clearing the first loop. I was sort of dreading uh, going at Ghouls and Ghosts and um, just the realization that I'd have to hunker down and uh, and and uh, get through get good through scrub. it somehow. Yeah, that that sort of you know it almost made me regret that decision to uh, to nominate these games for the, for this year's lineup of games to cover, but I don't think this game is as mean and as spiteful as Ghosts and Goblins is actually mm-hmm. having to have uh, put some some you know some level of investment in it uh, without the, the luxury of safe states as well. Over the past couple of days it's uh, it was quite uh, and not being able to have a suspense state either so if I shut down yeah. my PS2 I had to f- fire it up again and start from the beginning again. Yeah. Uh, but all of a sudden getting to the point where I last was much faster this time around. Yeah, there's there's much more of a learning aspect. It, I think the difficulty is still hellish, but much more fine-tuned. And you always have a fighting chance. Uh, there, like we've said before, uh, there's still that element of randomization, but this time you're just much better equipped to deal with it. And I've just got such a fondness for the aesthetics of uh, Ghouls and Ghosts. Mm. And I think as... The original trilogy of games goes, not the spin-offs of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Gargoyle's Quest and Demon's Crest and not uh, the spiritual uh, follow-ups uh, of Maximo, not counting those. I think Ghouls and Ghosts, after having cleared the first loop at least, feels like, I think it, it might be the strongest of the three. Uh, it's just, there, there are no weak or fluffy moments in it. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty compact experience. And yeah, I'm I'm actually quite motivated to keep going at it and to actually get that to to all clear and 
maybe even do it without continuing once. Uh, I definitely feel it's possible. Just give me a couple of months to to, to practice and don't do anything else, yeah. and then uh, I'll be able to That's follow really in Ben's uh, ironclad footsteps. Fantastic, right, Ben? Well, yeah, it's um, it, the one of the things that I wanted us to always do with cane and rinse, and we've maintained it as best we can, is to have uh, is to have everyone who talks about a game to have you know completed it and uh you know we're 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 on slightly sketchy ground on this one um in that regard because it is so notorious but i think you know my my feeling is that you make up for uh make up for this one of the reasons that i wanted that to be the case was because i always feel like uh one's relationship with a game changes once you've seen the credits roll once you know you've beaten it whether it's whether it's an easy game or a hard game or a narrative driven game or a gameplay driven game so you must have a very particular relationship with ghouls and ghosts now can you sum that up for us yeah i mean if you had asked me at this exact second like if you made me a list of three things in my entire life i'm probably the most proud of hand on heart i'd say marion allison judging anderson silver versus michael bispin for the ufc and beating ghouls and ghosts without dying like when I started making video game videos, like I never had any concept that I'd find a game that would kind of teach me so much about myself in a lot of respects and that that would become synonymous with with what I do with without even kind of trying to and in, in, in as well. I think like everything that I want the, the the channel to be and everything that I want people to be able to get from like these videos is summed up kind of in that one video and the crazy thing about that no death clear if you watch it through like if you watch the ending like when I, I finally beat that boss like that that scream I couldn't do that again I couldn't I can't mm. plan that I couldn't recreate that there is nothing and I've never felt anything like that since that second like at that point it literally felt like anything was possible I couldn't. It's I, the primal scream. Yeah, I can't put it into words. It was like every every death, every every single time I'd struggled for the past three months, all left, all left my my body, left my my, my kind of head at that point, and like absolutely anything seemed like I could I could kind of do it. And it's weird that it's like some kind of kooky Capcom platformer from the from the the late nineteen eighties that's kind of done this. But the more that I play this and like the more that I, I look into it and the, the more time that I spend, the more time that I realize that like, um, it doesn't have to stop with a, a clear like that. There's still kind of more that I can do with it. There's still kind of better things that I can do with this. And the fact that even now talking about this, all this talking about this has made me do is want to play it again. <laughs> and I probably will play it again now, to be honest with you. Like that's the effect that this, this thing kind of, uh, kind of has on me and like, uh, all I'd say with it is if you honestly put the time in, the rewards that you'll get are absolutely incredible. Beautiful. Uh, absolutely amazing. And your controller of choice? Uh, give him a plug. 8-bit do, isn't it? No, I use Buffalo, my friend. Buffalo, oh. sorry. Oh. Mate, that's like when they saw Britney Spears drinking Coke. That's how brand, <laughs> wrong branding starts, mate. I'm Buffalo from day one. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, but if 8 do are listening and they do want to send me a controller to see if I Same. can beat Ghouls and Ghosts, then yeah, hook me off. Same. Let's, <laughs> let's see what's best. Buffalo or 8 do. I'm going to keep saying it. I think we're allowed to do that, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we've got no sponsors um, other than our kind patrons. Patreon.com slash Kane and Rince. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please review and rate as well on places like Apple Podcasts. It really does help uh, with visibility on those services. Uh, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Mikhail and Ben 
One Credit Classics? That's the one. Number one Credit Classics on Twitter. Check me out on YouTube. Uh, the season uh, finished not too long ago, but I may, I just may have a surprise for you lovely people in the upcoming weeks. Superb. As well as that, I need to thank our correspondents, Editor Jay, and to all of you for listening. And remember, Patreon.com, as I say, you can get every Kane and Rinse podcast a week early and usually extended. That will include this one uh, by up to 25%, as well as an exclusive monthly bonus podcast with Jay and me. Next time, in issue 346, the biggest game in the series yet, Resident Evil 6. 